All right. Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Coffee Break. Uh, what day is it? It's March 19th. It's Friday, March 19th. I'm Carter, and you're watching Unsafe Space. Coffee Break is a show that we do every Monday and Friday live at 11 a.m. And I am joined not just by Carrie. Hello, Carrie. Hi, Carter. But also by Mikey hey. and Cameron. Um, and what now up? the order's all changed. We got used to who was in what square, but I guess I put them up now. Mikey's now we're all different. Yeah. I want to be in the NB Davis square. <laughs> What's that I don't square? know what that means, Mikey. <laughs> what? You never watched the Brady Bunch? Oh, okay. Uh, Brady Bunch yeah. boxes. You, you, you know what I really like? I, I'm I'm sort of like you know I'm sort of pop up a lot on various YouTube videos and I've I've become remember the old Hollywood squares when we were kids yeah. I've become yeah. Paul Lin the guy who's just sort of always there yes. <laughs> he's just like he's, he's sort of he's like technically just like the star of the week but he never leaves <laughs> <laughs> Carter's the Whoopi Goldberg the one who's like supposed to be too good for this <laughs> wait I don't even understand either one of those references although you I do know who is. Whoopi Goldberg is at least but I don't know why supposed to be too good for freaking hollywood squares was she on hollywood squares yeah but does she have like oh. an oscar nomination or something i think she does she won you one. can't get an oscar yeah, nomination yeah. for hollywood squares that's not a thing is it? <laughs> wait, wait, the, so, the guy i remember in hollywood squares is bruce valanche wasn't he always on yeah, yeah he's a. Uh, all... go ahead are we all like different generations of hollywood squares is that what's happening <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I'm the I had homework to do and didn't watch Hollywood Squares generation. I don't know what you, you guys are. Uh, well, um, by the way, before... we have a super chat to start right away. Someone is paying for my rub maps bill. If you don't know that reference, you have to watch the video I uploaded this morning. But um... That sounds obscene. <laughs> There's a website called <laughs> rub maps, and it is indeed insane. Uh, obscene. So there you go, Mike. Uh, just a couple of housekeeping things before we get started. We have a book club coming up on Sunday, the 28th. We are reading The Fourth Turning, which Cameron Pasha suggested. And I have to thank you so much because it's – I've been plugging this one like crazy because it – like you said, it I feel it gives us a, a lens through which to interpret the craziness that's happening. Yeah, it, it feels um, – and, and it, shows, it seems to be inevitable. It seems to be the way culture develops uh, in, in cycles. Yeah, and it helped. I think I think it sometimes it's uh, it's helpful to put things in patterns and to mm -hmm. it, it makes you because sometimes I th I think people are prone to thinking this is a this is a special kind of craziness and it is unique, but you know this has happened before <laughs> in different so. ways. But it's always been this moment of, of of transition which we've survived a few times and I hope we survive it this one. Yeah. I hope. Same. So you guys can join us if you go to unsafespace.com, the book club page. It tells you how to join. It's free to be a part of book club. It can be on camera or in the live chat. And uh, is that is that the is that the only announcement, Carter? No, we have a huge announcement we have to make. Oh yeah. Um, and I will make it now. I guess. Hold on. Let me. I'm going to try and pull it up so people can see it. We have uh, pick dates, and we are announcing. We are going to have an unsafe space retreat. It's going to be on August. This is in person, like actual, actual physical in person. We're going to be in Texas, uh, outside of Austin, uh, between August twentieth and August twenty second. We're renting this cool place, and you can go to unsafespace.com/retreat 
Actually, if you just go to the main page, it'll direct you there. But, uh, yeah, we're going to stay in. It's like a 60-acre ranch that we're going to rent. And hopefully we'll get enough people. To, we have to have enough people to do it because it's expensive. But I think we'll get enough people, I hope. And we'll be able to pull this off. So We also uh, have two price points. And they're radically different. So we have the all-inclusive price if you're actually staying at the resort with us uh, for those nights. And then we have a day pass if you just want to, if you're local and you just want to come for the day to the to the resort and do all the activities that day, or if you want to fly in and you know find your own accommodation somewhere else and just come that day. So you can choose between those two, and they are radically different prices. So yeah, <laughs> so that's that's our that's our big announcement, I guess. That's our other big announcement. Okay, how do I get everyone back? Let's see. <laughs> nope, that's Carrie only. Hello. Hold on, we're gonna have a boomer moment. Boomer tech moment. There we go. I'll be there. I want to go. Tech moment over. Yay! I've, yeah. We've been trying to get Mikey to Texas forever. Uh, <laughs> I feel like my one or two days in Dallas didn't really count. Yeah. Well, Dallas yeah, that doesn't. Sucks. Plus, you <laughs> were working. What city is this going to be in? My sister. It's right outside of Austin. Okay. You chose yeah. Austin. Let's just say the not the typical Texas city. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not the typical no. city. No. I live a little outside of Austin, so it's more like regular Texas. But I'm, I'm actually moving even further outside of Austin. Um, I'm excited about and, uh, but yeah, we it was easier to find a place. We looked at all different kinds of accommodation and ways that we could do this, and in the end, we decided let's just offer a place that is a little pricey, but everybody gets to stay there, and there's a lot of things to do at that resort, um, or people can come for the day. So. Is the uh, mask op optional at this point in Texas? Mask optional. I don't know. Uh, hats that. mandatory. Wait. Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. You get some epic hats <laughs> to be in your presence. Um, so we we've just started doing this casual Friday vibe, and I was like, with Carter, we we just have been feeling overwhelmed about everything that's happening. The news is always something to be outreached about. And instead of presenting things in sort of like a straight, like here are the facts on this issue. And we thought we'd just bring on friends to talk about what's in the news and what you guys want to talk about today. So anything you have to, to anything going on. I'm going to put you on the spot Everyone now. is talking about uh, Biden falling up the stairs. Oh, I missed that. You missed that? Oh, God. You got to see no. it. Well, I so did see the conspiracy theories around green screening for Biden, which screen. I would like to just officially say those are conspiracy theories. That's called that those are, those are codec errors. Anyone who's worked with video encoding before, that's not. Don't are you sh our fun. Don't wait a minute. Yes, wait a stop, minute. Stop with the green screen crap. I don't like this messing with my conspiracy theories. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I love I conspiracy well, theories. Wait, but hey, just, you know. if you're going to say that, then explain it because I don't understand. Yeah. I saw those videos of the hand going through the microphone. How does that happen? Well, so the microphone thing, first of all, if, like I, I would suggest that you try this on a, on a video, especially one that's um, like compressed enough to go on the internet, but just try it with something super fuzzy. Those super fuzzy, long, fuzzy microphones, if you put your hand in front of them and do that, they like, they look weird. It just looks weird the way that the codec works. It always has. They just look weird. If you have if you have something moving in front of those things that close to them, they look weird. Also the green that you know, there's a fence in the background that's green. So that's why there's highlights of green that are coming through. 
And then the one where his head disappears, where he's walking, like that's just a codec error. You can see the blocky codec. You can see the compression. Like codecs compress. They try and find similar areas of video and save bandwidth by like deciding that they're basically all the same color and compressing them. And that's what they did with the top of his head and the back of the wall. And it is very similar in color. So, I, you know, I look at it and I, I say, okay, well, what's more likely that they bothered to do some really elaborate, intricate green screen thing for some non-event where he walks down a hall? Or is it probably a compression error, which happened all the time? You are or assuming the world works, works logically and rationally. You're assuming, what? The bad, you're assuming the world works logically and rationally, and the bad guys you know, think rationally like you do. No, well, I'm not assuming that they think rationally. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that, that the world actually can be interpreted rationally. They might be irrational actors in the world, and they might want to do some weird green screen stuff. But it's much more likely they don't get anything out of it. Uh, there's, it's much more likely that it's, I mean, it's explainable by non-crazy conspiracy reasons, right? It's well, like, you know, if, if you see something that's explainable easily through science, I hate to be Dana Scully because I prefer Mulder, but, you know, <laughs> if you see something that's explainable through the science and the tech, you pick the science and the tech. You don't, it's not aliens, just be like... Yeah, but you're assuming you, you save that, that shit for the stuff that you can't explain. Okay, uh, but you're assuming that everybody can explain that as a Kodak reason. I think I think it's better just to offer that as like, hey, here's something because I don't know Kodak issues, whatever you know. Like I don't know about that, and to me, it looked like green screen, which is also reasonable. It it's not reasonable that that we do that. My question <laughs> then is like, why are they green screening him? But it's but it's reasonable that. Green screen, green screen could explain why the hand was doing that. I, I think the thing is that, like, yeah, I agree with you, Carter, that it's probably nothing. But I think the point is that it's kind of likely at this point that everyone knows <laughs> that this man has one foot in the grave and is being, yeah. you know, concealed in a plastic bubble. So, yeah, was it a green screen? Probably not, but it could be. It is just way too likely. <laughs> yeah. Someday it will be, is what you're saying. The point yeah. is going to be, exactly, it's going to be a friggin' hologram pretty soon. Well, I just <laughs> yeah. want to show this from my time in Hollywood. And I remember this, at, this was over 10 years, it might have been even 15 years ago. I remember, I was in, yeah, it was 15 years ago, I was, I was in film school, whatever, and I remember a talk by one of, a major studio head came in to talk, and he had just talked about this incredible new technology where he had been invited into an office and he was talking to someone uh, who he thought was the executive and the person vanished and he's like what, what? and it was a hologram and it, the whole thing had been a test to see if he could walk in and believe it was real and the guy was physically there and he's like i could not believe it it looked like a th i was talking to a real human being 3d i had no idea until he faded away in front of me wow. and, and said it worked and he's like they'd done this test on him to see if the boss would would, would fall for it it worked and that was 15 years ago where the technology was of hologram. Wow. And so mm. that's all I'm saying. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, I, I look, I have seen enough tech, uh, especially working as a defense contractor. I've seen enough tech to know that what's out in the mainstream is often way more advanced. Like that what's possible is often more advanced than what we see on a day to day basis. Um, so and and we all like, yeah, it, is Biden essentially a puppet already? And if they could just hologram Biden all the time, would they? Pro probably. Although if he were a hologram, they might make him sound more coherent. Um, yeah. But uh, they got to keep. But you know, even with knows. holograms, like they needed a whole room to do that. Like a hologram isn't something that you throw outside 
magically. Like, there's a lot of like we haven't solved some fundamental physics problems that would allow them to project a hologram on nothing outside. That right, that's of, not a that we know of. Like I said, 50, who knows where the technology is? Fifteen years. Sure, ago. and that aliens may be involved, but I don't even want to think about that. That's too scary. <laughs> I just want to, I want to read this uh, super chat from Thomas St. Thomas, who's part of our unsafe space team. He writes for us on uh, Medium. His pieces are published on our Medium page. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he says, uh, "Wait, I thought I was the token, possibly black guy here. Who the hell is this guy?" <laughs> 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 well, he's not talking about me or Mikey, and I'm pretty sure Terry identifies as female. So, All right. well, I, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> we're translucent. I'm, you know, I, I guess, I guess I'm, I'm shaded, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm Pakistani, so it's, you know, it's sort of you know, a little bit of melanin. But here's the tragic story: I was up for a very major project. I won't reveal the name uh, of of with with an actress who is a African American woman multiple award winning you all know her name right and we were developing a tv show together that we took to uh to netflix and it was based on a science fiction series of science fiction books uh with with black characters right uh and went there did my pitch we were very incredibly excited and got word back that yeah no they, they love it and they're going to do it they just they're not with you because uh you're, you're you, you know they need an african-american to actually run uh, this show because the character the main character is black i said so my being brown isn't enough anymore, right? Like you know, and it was literally You're like not brown enough. Yeah, it was. It was literally like Paper it wasn't bag test. Like, it wasn't even like the you know the white man. It was like this little brown Muslim guy comes in. And it's like, and I had done. I talked a lot in the uh, in the pitch about how Malcolm X, who was in who was an inspirational figure to some of the characters, how imp how important he is to me. I was actually interviewed by Apple TV last year about how how uh, Spike Lee's Malcolm X. Uh, influenced my life as a filmmaker and as a person and you know that was a special show about Mal uh, about spike lee and i was included in it for that so i was like this is a major part of my life and who i am but it still wasn't enough because they had to have the pr of we can't we can't have a brown guy doing a show about a black guy that's where hollywood wow, is right. that's crazy i'm was waiting for the time when wait, they like what, go ahead, was, go the, ahead. was the writer of the series not i'm not asking about the actress but was it octavia butler she writes uh, a lot of sci-fi. Yeah, no, they, she, it's, it's, it's oh, not okay. Thomas She's not the author of the series, but yeah. But yeah, I'm just waiting for the time when you go into pitch something and they they hold up a little color palette to you and they're like, "Out, you're you're good, you're out, you're you're marginal." Let's hear your idea. Yeah, it's, I it's, think it's, it's kind of interesting the difference mm -hmm. between the different groups in terms of within Hollywood because uh, with me personally, before I was ever doing this, I wrote a series that was about like uh, being gay and single but telling the truth about it. Mm -hmm. um, and we were pitching it to different very mainstream outlets that were interested. And then I got a letter from the Gay Defamation League saying we will fight you every step of the way in getting this made. So it's I feel like with uh, black stuff, it's sort of these white studio executives deciding. But with gay shit and uh, alphabet people, it's like this one group gets to decide how everyone, how every gay character can be portrayed, portrayed, how every uh, gay artist can speak about stuff. What was yeah, their complaint? It, it's homophobic. <laughs> because you're talking about real life experiences a lot of people's real life experiences okay. all right okay um, they said they literally no wait they literally said in the letter i got i want to frame it on my wall it was like uh you could have easily written about things like hate crimes and aids and you can't uh, actually talk about a real person's life women of color something like that okay, all right 
You could have so, easily <laughs> made us victims. Instead, you made us normal exactly. people with dysfunctional problems. Struggling, struggling exactly. Like everybody else, right? <laughs> so, so, well, but it's funny, though, is when people wonder why we've had the same damn stereotypical gay characters on TV for 30, 40 years, it's because Glad is in the writer's room of every single TV show that has gay characters telling mm -hmm. them what they can write and how this person can behave. You know, yeah. I had that experience when, uh, back when I was managing comedians mm -hmm. and one of the comics I managed, the most high profile name that I managed was Margaret Cho. Mm -hmm. And she obviously got invited to speak at a lot of uh, gay events and nonprofits and, and like, you know, that sort of thing. And we started getting letters towards the end of the time I worked with her as the culture started to change, it started to get more, the social justice stuff was becoming bigger and more censorious, right? We got a letter from one of these events that had a list of things she wasn't allowed to joke about on stage. Uh. And it's like, wait, what? Like you, you, these are, these things are off limits, but it, and, and that was new. It, we hadn't seen that before. But yeah, it was very controlling about, you can't make these things the butts of jokes. Which brings yeah. us to what happened to me. As you know, I was a loudmouth on Twitter and I like to post lovely ladies on Twitter and all kinds of stuff. And I got pulled three weeks ago. I got pulled uh, and and I'm off Twitter. It looks like uh, permanently. What, what reason did they get Did they what? state a reason? They, I mean, when I got the, the email saying you, you have been suspended, the reason was you are guess. platform manipulation and spam. Wow. Interesting. They're basically the, implying I'm not a real account. I'm like, you talk, I've, been, I've been on Twitter for 10 years. I actually, 11 years. I joined it in April 2009 when my first novel came out because I was, I was pushing my novels. I'm like, all right. The, you know, so I, there was an appeal button. I pressed the appeal button. I said, hey, guys, so what spam am I doing? Can you tell me what exactly this is about? No answer. No listing it, whatever. And so uh, I, I'm okay. out. Okay. This is interesting because in this, in today's video, we have three perma banned accounts. Mike, Mike Harlow, <laughs> Mikey the Harlow was one of the first people I knew who was perma banned <laughs> with no reason. Three times. Three times. And then our unsafe space account was perma banned on January 11th. And then we heard about you, Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> Are you appealing? I, well, I, I hit the appeal button and they didn't, they never responded. They never did anything. I mean, they didn't even give me a time frame. So I, I have to assume it's a perma ban. It's like, I would assume they would tell you it's 30 days a week or whatever. It's just, you know, you've been suspended. I go check every couple of days and still can't do anything on there. And uh, it, it, it is what it is. Life goes on. Uh, it's actually probably good because I'm actually focusing on getting some work done now instead of wasting my time on Twitter. <laughs> so there, there's a benefit to that. But, uh, but this is, this is where we are. And it's, uh, you know, it is what it is. I have many theories, you know, because it certainly there were strange events that were happening before. I had people trolling me just in a couple of days in advance, and uh, and then suddenly I got pulled. So it felt like powers that be noticed that I existed for the first time, and then yep. just decided I was a I was a problem, and the way they went. Yeah, um, but the, like let's do a survey of those three accounts though, because in none of those cases was there a legitimate reason given. Mikey, uh, did they? The, what was the first reason? They gave you several reasons, but none of them. What was the first reason they gave you? Uh, trying to evade a permanent suspension, which I never had a permanent suspension. That, That's what they told I, us. Well, they didn't tell us anything, actually, at first. Uh, it was only after the appeal that they said we were trying to evade a permanent suspension. Um, they told you that you were trying to evade. But then you appealed, and then they changed their minds, right? 
Then it was managing multiple accounts for abusive purposes. I don't have multiple accounts. Well, now I do, but at the time I didn't <laughs> because now I just said, screw them. And I made a new one, but, um, I, I, I actually was able to fight them and I won and got my permanent ban undone. Then they banned me again. I fought them again in one and then they permanently banned me a third time. Wow. So all, I mean, in all of these, right? No, reason I can't even make an, uh, another account like a dummy account to come in. I think my IP number has been banned. Like anything I try to do from my laptop, you know, or in my or my phone, it won't it won't work. Yeah, See, that's, wow. the, yeah, that's, that's the catch VPN. 22 they put you in, because if the charge is like with Mikey and like with us, they said trying to evade a ban or trying to run multiple accounts or whatever. Well, then if they're not responding to your pills and if you decide, well, I'm just going to create a new account. Well, now you're guilty of what they accused you of doing. It's like pre-crime. Yeah. <laughs> I will say anyone watching this, who's like had this happen, uh, file a report with the better business bureau. That's I think the oh, best okay. way. Cause that at least gets a human to see it and then they can just make something else up. But that's actually what they said to me. The first time they said, Oh, it was an error that they banned me. They, accidentally thought it was spam so they just make this i think this is all just like different in company codes that they have for people that they want to take off the platform but don't have an actual valid reason mm -hmm. makes sense to me yeah uh, it'd be hilarious the better business bureau comes in and kicks kicks twitter's ass i think that's very funny <laughs> <laughs> well if you look at their page their the better Bureau's business bureau page for twitter is like their rating is horrible like they, there's yeah. like a lot of complaints about twitter uh Facebook and it's affecting too. my business. I mean, I, I, I people have bought my novels because they found me on Twitter, right? That's affect. That's the reason I created the account was to promote my my creative work. Yeah, it's a it, you, you're material da materially damaged by this. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Well, uh, what is Twitter? <laughs> Thanks, Twitter. I, I finally got a new one, and I'm regretting it already. I'm like, just <laughs> everyone on there is miserable. It's a, it's a bad it's a bad environment. It's a it really is. Yeah. So. That's really yeah. uh, a blessing. Thank you, Christ. Christ says it's homophobic to hey. be gay. Glad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, I love him. Yeah. And well, uh, I, I'm going to go into controversial waters here. I've seen some in interesting conversations among some trans, you know, community members who are who actually say, you know, if you if you are gay and you're not attracted to a trans person. Then you are you that you are you are transphobic, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to stay the hell out of this conversation, right? <laughs> I don't know yeah. how to even get involved in this one. So, well, yeah. I love. Well, it. they say the same thing about um, heterosexual people who aren't attracted yeah. to trans people. Yeah. Well, I so love it because go. then uh, they you guys have heard about the super straight thing, so yeah. they're like, okay, you want to say that's what being straight is? We'll make our own sexual orientation. Oh, what a shock! They have a problem with that too. Mm -hmm. What's their problem with super straight that it exists? People. What's that? What's the problem with super straight that it exists? Is that their problem? Yeah, alt right Nazis, like you know, stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> so what is super straight? It's just like I'm really, really straight. I don't, well, I, don't I think really it, have like gay porn. On it my means phone. you're straight. <laughs> it it just, means you're straight, but you're not attracted to trans people who. They and they it's funny you. because it's one of these things, sort of like uh, it's almost trolling the way that 4chan yeah. did those those flyers that said it's okay to be white. Because okay. if you get upset at that, it's like, well, is it not okay to be white? And then th th these so these guys created. They said, well, this is our sexual 
uh, gender, so sexual orientation and gender identity is super straight. Super straight should be a protected sexual, you know, orientation. And it's basically someone who's attracted to other straight people, but not trans people. And uh, they did not react. They did not pull that into the inclusive alphabet list. <laughs> they didn't put SS on the end. <laughs> The only but, but you are interestingly enough, you're allowed to be asexual, which means you're not attracted to anyone. They that's okay. That's what the A stands for, right? I'm jealous of those people. <laughs> I wish, if only. I'm not jealous. <laughs> I think they're probably just miserable. I don't. If you probably, can't muster attraction, but... I mean, well, uh, I'm going to suggest that. I'm going to suggest that is where the culture wants all of this to go. Where basically none of us have sex anymore with anybody, right? And I just I think that's where the culture wants us to go ultimately. Really, not the other way. Don't you think maybe they're just happy with either extreme? We have sex with everybody or nobody, but not anything else. I actually no, no I selectivity. It's, it's 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 leading. I think that they, they ultimately they just want us to be miserable, right? I think they just want to be miserable. Fair enough. I, think it's to that. I, I mean, I think it's ultimately because it's it, the the other thing you're talking about is not Puritan. These people are Puritans at hearts. And so I think ultimately they just want us all to be, uh, you know, celibate and stoic. I, I sort yeah. of feel like you're both right, though, because both extremes are like, you know, just having total meaningless hedonistic banging every single person in sight. That's also the road to being miserable. Yeah, I think Cameron's so right. Their goal is, to, is, is miserable. Same outcome. If you look at uh, Brave New World, which we read in book club last year, uh, you know, it, it's as this future dystopia that's supposed to be a utopia, but they do have this idea that we're starting to see it's becoming more common here or currently, which is that you, your body belongs to everyone else. And if you refuse to have sex with someone who wants to have sex with you, then you're being a bigot. And I do think they're kind of pushing towards these two extremes. You have to have sex with anyone who wants to have sex with you. Otherwise you're a bigot. Or no sex no, at all. But what about all the nerd losers? That was the whole point is when all these nerd losers would go and start shooting people because they hadn't gotten laid, right? And the whole point the was like, community, they're demanding yeah. sex. And it's just like, okay. So the nerd right. losers... Well, they can't demand out? sex unless they unless they declare a, an alternate gender. Then they can demand sex. You gotta... <laughs> I just want to go back to that. It's, it's a little bit complicated. I, yeah, I, I understand. Watching, back to the future. I don't. I, I can't get this third era. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> if they become transgender in cells, then they can demand. That's that's. Then what... it's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if Elliot Rogers just claimed that he was a female, that would have been he would have been celebrated because he because he would have been just shooting transphobic people who didn't want to have sex with him. I don't Maybe that's a step too far, but I, a, I was going to say, no, it's inaccurate. It's not so. That's a problem. It makes sense what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'll fight you naked. Thank you. Says when Twitter stock dropped, I saw the story in a Trumper's feed. His only comment on this was die. S H I T bird. I laughed for minutes. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I assume Twitter's continuing to drop in value. Is that what's happening? Yeah, I don't I know where they are that. now, but yeah, they did have a drop after Trump got banned, right? Yeah, well, I mean, but he was the only thing that could keep people on that platform, you know. Right. And 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 then after that, I mean, look, if they can take out the president of the United States, they can you know, take out Cameron Pasha, they can take out anybody on the stream. I mean, we are irrelevant, right? And at that point, just like, well, what is the point of this uh, platform? And then it's just an echo chamber of of loudmouth weirdos. Yeah, right. Exactly. Which is that's what they what, would like the world I'd... to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like parlors it's just such an echo chamber i think the 
difficult thing would be getting all the people in the middle to some other platform. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think that kind of social media is essentially dead. I mean, I've, I've, I've got a gab account, but I don't really look at it. <laughs> so I don't, yeah, I, I, don't think, I just like, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that, kind of, I mean, I think we're watching the death of these things. Yeah. Yeah. They're very, you know, unfortunately, me... they've been Go very ahead. successful with the um, the smears in the legacy media. So when any of these alternative companies do pop up, they're like, oh, create your own company, create your own company. And then when someone does, the legacy media takes hits at them and calls them alt-right so that nobody will join except the right. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. they try and keep them silos. Well, and even yeah. then, then the company gets banned like Parler did. Yeah. So then it's like, what, build what, your own internet? Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, you'd, I mean, theoretically, you'd have to build your own bank, your own payment processor. Would you rather own... issue what this is about, my friend? It's about these Wall Street guys and shadowy <laughs> dudes making money off of all of this crap. That's what all this is about. That's that's what I've tried to explain to people is that we get when it comes down to all the social change and everything that's happening, whether we like it or not, it's all some jerk off who thinks he's making money off of it. It just comes well, down. Well, it's the great re I think it's the great reset. I think mm -hmm. it's the people in power at the World Economic Forum mm -hmm. who are trying to push this reset button mm -hmm. where they have what they're calling uh stakeholder capitalism and and they have this this you this utopian picture that they paint for uh, that socialists like when they say, "Well, you're not going to own everything, but you'll be anything, but you'll be happy and we'll all share everything blah blah blah." But someone's going to own and control that and that's them. Like that's it always works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and they want to be the ones they're not talking about actually no one owning anything. They're talking about none of the, none of the proletariat owning anything, yeah, so but it's, they're it's going right to be the ones running. All one. Yeah. I mean, it's right yeah. back to Marx and Engels. Exactly. Packaged in a new way. Right. You know, the, the, the fascinating thing that I often, because I'm a student of history, what I often amazes me is we never talk about, you know, all of these communist revolutions that we've had, somebody financed them. Where the hell did Mao Zedong get all these guns, right? Where did Lenin get all yeah. these weapons? And it, was, it wasn't some farmer with a pitchfork, right? It was some dude in a in a corporate board saying, here's a scheme, let's take over Russia, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, is. the liberal elite have been behind <laughs> almost all of these uh, huge, like revolutionary shifts. I mean, I mean uh, Russia in particular, we've read about that. I think we talked about it on the show before, but like, uh, yeah, I interviewed uh, Dr. Gary Morrison, who's a... Mm -hmm. um, expert in Russian literature, and he was talking about this. This is the. It's not. It's not that the the people kind of organically rise up and decide that Marx is a great idea. It's that it's that the elitist establishment decides that Marx is a great idea, and they're the ones who fund and and push culture in that in that direction. Often they then get you know thrown up against the wall and executed when it's over, but they're morons and don't understand that. Yeah, because so, there's always somebody um, else behind them making money on it, right? I mean, there's always yeah. the other Or there's always just a thug. Like, you, you incentivize thuggishness, and the, the biggest thug wins. And it's like, okay, well, that guy's worse than the guy before, so he's going to come in and shoot all the other people, and then someone worse than him comes in. And, like, w once you set up a system where thuggishness is rewarded, you get a till of the hunt, right? Exactly. Yeah, but if we study history, I mean, what we're going through is essentially a – a new version of the cultural revolution. I mean, I, I worked a little bit in China, and it is absolutely fascinating to see the damage that's been done to Chinese society. You know, forty years after the cultural revolution, I mean, they've uh, disassociated from it and disassociated from Mao to, to a degree. But you know, their culture 
uh, has been utterly ruined. I mean, I'm a fan of ancient Chinese history and Taoism and, and all those spiritual traditions. I knew more about that than the people that I was working with when I was in Beijing, right? Because that they, they've lost a memory of their civilization because it was taken away from them, which is what is happening now. We're essentially erasing memory of a civilization. Yeah. Right. And that was intentional. Mm -hmm. That was intentional. And those wounds are still, I mean, I've, this will freak you out. I don't know if I said this to you previously, Cameron, but I think this will freak you out if you, if you like to compare what's going on now to the Chinese cultural revolution, but, um, the, a lot of, so my wife is Chinese and a lot of that generation, their parents lived through the cultural revolution. Like they were in college during the cultural mm -hmm. revolution and they like, it was very raw for them. Mm -hmm. And they, when, when their kids grew up, and when you know got out of high school or whatever they they pushed their kids to go to america because they wanted you know go get you know go to universities in america go learn in america some of them would come back to china but a lot of them they were just go stay in america you know get out go be in america now i i noticed this first last year that generation of chinese is calling they're calling their their chinese kids who are adults now in the us saying get the hell out and come back to China. It's the cultural revolution that's happening in the US. You, you need to leave, you need to get out, it's dangerous. Yeah. Well, and China is even using this against the United States by talk, bringing up Black Lives Matter. And so I'm sure you guys saw the other thing where they were like, you guys are in no position to talk to us from a position of strength. Yeah, no, I, I, didn't, didn't I don't know what you're so referring to, no. Oh, you didn't see that? There was uh, some sort of meeting between Biden's people and it was an international thing. And China's representative uh, said something along the lines of uh, you're in no position to talk to China from a position of strength. So yeah, it was about I human think, rights. Yeah. Yeah. About human rights. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's largely true as, as much as China does uh, violate human rights, which they do. Um, I, I think it's pretty clear that the United States is right there behind them on the way so that's not something it's not surprising yeah, yeah here that here it is in the guard us and china publicly rebuke each other in first major talks of biden era uh let's see. I, I didn't putin say something to mm -hmm. biden like uh good luck with your health oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's ominous coming from putin yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Putin I mean, needs to put polonium in, the, in Biden's tea. He's like, hey, man, you know, these guys are already. He just needs to wait a few minutes. Yeah, it just that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. Good luck to all of you. I'm just <laughs> yeah, and then they can, and then the Russians can hack the the Biden hologram, and all bets are <laughs> lost. <green> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, can you? Are you guys talked out yet about the um, about the shootings that happened in Atlanta? and the media's narrative about what's going on there? Or do we even need to touch on that? I wrote an entire article and did a show this morning <laughs> about it. So I'm talked <laughs> out, but you, you guys can out. talk about it. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I just, it's just so super, I don't know about you guys, but just how I feel in general with everything lately is I feel talked out period, because it's like, what else is there to say with all of these things? Of course, this is what they're doing. It's the same thing they always do. I don't understand how so many people are so blind to it. I never will. So I sort of don't know what to say with anything anymore. It's the same playbook. It's the same tactics. It's the same thing they do every time to manipulate the masses and we're just such a malleable populace right now. 
Yeah. Well, you know, and which is, I think, I mean, we always were somewhat malleable populists. I think last year pushed people even further into, you know, a, either either I'm going to go completely asleep or I'm going to wake up. And most people didn't really want to wake up. Uh, you know, I will say this: what what's interesting for me, the conversations now that are being are, are happening about anti-Asian violence, right, uh, is that. You know the standard response inside of Hollywood that I'm hearing from people in Hollywood, and and uh, which is the the mouthpiece of the system, right? Is that well, this is all Trump's fault. He made this all the China virus, whatever. And I'm like, um, you know, a year later, who, you know, I've been hearing. I mean, I technically am Asian, but I'm not East Asian. I'm South Asian. But hearing, you know, I used to write for a magazine called A Magazine 20 years ago, which was about the Asian American experience. And so 20 years ago, people were talking about you know, the discrimination against a a Asians in, in, in universities and liberal environments, you know, they weren't considered a minority because they were successful. So they were put in white. So it meant, you know, people, you to be a minority, you had to be unsuccessful. Right. And that's, and so that's the ultimate most racist thing ever. I mean, selling black people and Latinos and everyone else, you're a minority because, you know, you aren't, you aren't wealthy by, by the way we're defining it. These people right. are managing to succeed in, in, in college. So they're not a minority. And so whatever, this is all racist projection, but Hollywood has been a major part of that. I'm like, you're talking about racism towards Trump. Who are the people that were attacking? You know, I didn't hear a single peep out of Hollywood when, you know, regrettably many of the Asian American, the tax Asian Americans the last few months have been, you know, African-American youths who have been attacking them. Right. And this isn't new. This goes back to the Rodney King riots. When the Rodney King riots happened, Korean, uh, you know, store owners in L.A. had to come out with guns because, you know, they were being they were being attacked as part of the system. Right. These are the wealthy guys that are stealing you know, from from black people. And that and there's been zero conversation about that in Hollywood. I'm seeing conservative black people talking about it, right? But I'm not seeing any liberal white people talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And they, no, of and they also, their narrative they, is so fragile. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they also have, I'm sure this is no surprise to anyone watching this, but if you do bring up that the attacks they're talking about have been mostly perpetrated by black people, mm -hmm. they will say, well, when black people attack someone, that's because of white supremacy. Yes, I've seen and, that. And when, and when white, white supremacy people attack someone, that made them do this. Yes. Yeah, it's all, it, if white people kill someone, the answer is white supremacy. If black people kill someone, the answer is white supremacy. It's always, it's it's that, it's that, uh, you know, it, it, it's a, almost like a Kafka trap, like the white fragility thing. If you deny that you have white fragility, that's evidence of your white fragility. All roads lead back to white supremacy. Yeah, yeah there's no, no, there's no null hypothesis. <laughs> Right. Exactly. It's it's and, and it's white supremacy and nothing that happens could possibly disprove that it's white supremacy. So and this entire, you know, the problem is white supremacy is people uh, being promoted by people who, in my experience, are white supremacists. I mean, I work with them in Hollywood. They are the people that will make sure that you have to have the diversity slot in the writer's room and then make sure they bring in somebody not, you know, nice token, often, often, you know, African-American person, nice token, who's there, who's given no responsibility because they're presumed to not be good enough. That's why they're the diversity slot and mm -hmm. then are immediately shuffled out and not promoted. Uh, I've never seen anybody promoted from within that system. I just see them brought in as a face and then six months later, they're removed and another face is brought in and the cycle continues. So all these people talking about this, I'm like, you're, you're, I actually had this conversation with a white producer and he got very, very tense because I was holding up a mirror. I said, what are we doing to the minorities on our show here? And he got really, really upset. I touched the raw nerve. He couldn't handle it. Yeah. To be clear, I don't I don't think the Atlanta shootings had anything to do with mm -hmm. Asian anti-Asian sentiment. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's so a completely here, false narrative. I don't think so either. And what was interesting is I started discussing it in a, in a on social media 
on the wall of a friend who is still squarely in the social justice world and who was saying this is the result of anti-Asian bigotry and white supremacy. And some of the people who, it was interesting, I still like to do this because I like to hear what they're saying and what they think. And some of the people who were mixing up with me, they were, they were saying, um, if you don't think it's white supremacy, you should uh, listen to Asian women, you know, that whole standard, you should shut up and listen, uh, which itself is racist because you're assuming that all Asian women are a monolith and they all have the same opinion and it happens to be yours, um, which is not true. <laughs> um, but then they were also saying that um, this is this is something I hadn't confirmed until they linked this card. I don't know if you saw this. They said that the Asian media in the Korean media uh, and they linked me to some Korean news articles uh, did interviews with some of the women who were there and that they said the shooter was yelling that he wants to kill all Asian women. And oh, that was the first time I had heard that. And it looks like it's only been reported in Korean press. And, you know, if I, that's the I'm case, not even sure I believe that, but okay. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if I believe that either, but if it I is- I think if the, that were the case, you would be hearing it every minute. Yeah, that's all that if there was anyone CNN. corroborating that in the United States who was a witness to the event, that was all you would hear about. Right. Yeah. They, and yeah. they haven't they haven't run that yet because they would love to run that here. Um, they want to make it about they ma they made it about their white supremacy narrative before they knew anything about it. And the other thing that he, I found was he's alive. He said what it's about. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing I found interesting is they outright uh, they outright disregard what he said about it and the fact that he checked himself into a sex addiction rehab clinic the fact that he said it was about his sex addiction and he was targeting trying to target sex places he'd been to before and, and he was on his way to florida to target porn places they outright, to eliminate temptation in his eliminate words. temptation they throw all that out the window and what they told me is sex addiction is not a thing and it's not in the dsm so yeah. that can't possibly be something that people struggle with and that even psychopaths, some psychopaths struggle with. I mean, the thing is sex addiction or any addiction doesn't cause someone to go out and murder people. If you're struggling with some kind of compulsion, that doesn't, that doesn't cause you to go murder people. It, that's something else inside. Yeah. That's something else inside. Psychopaths go murder people. Mm -hmm. But, right. well, but this is what I said though earlier when I, when I wrote about this, like this is the fact that it's not on the DSM five is irrelevant. He is using the term sex addiction to describe his motivation. He's communicating real information about why he's motivated, regardless of whether it's a clinically like recognized thing or not, it's information. And that information is not, I hate Asians. It's different than that. It's other information about how he feels, whether or not sex addiction is a legitimate clinical addiction is kind of irrelevant here. We're not listening to what he's saying. Those are his words. He's not. I doubt that the shooter looked up the DSM-5 and was like, oh, sex addiction is not in there. I, I guess that can't be my reason. <laughs> like, well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I mean, these are the, look, these are the cheesy efforts at, at rationalization, you know, because nobody, the average person doesn't know anything about the DSM-5. And, and it's, and it's, I would suggest throughout history been politically, you know, oriented as to what gets in there and what doesn't, right? But it's, uh, it's, it, what it is, is, that you have to continue the narrative of the white supremacist and the white racist and, and the rise of the neo-Nazi, right? And so if he says anything outside the narrative, he has to be lying or, you know, or they have to just invalidate the, the, the actual claim because anything to talk, you know, it has to be framed in a certain way while they also ignore black people killing Asian people, which has been actually a real thing happening a lot in the last several months, you know? And so 
it, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is there was there was this. Uh, I believe he was a Pulitzer Prize winning Asian author who posted that. You know, if black people kill Asians, it's because of white supremacy. He posted that right, and I before I was banned from Twitter, I was going through the thread of responses, and ninety percent of it was Asian people saying, "Hey, shut up, man! You don't deserve the Pulitzer. Don't speak for us, right?" <laughs> you know, ninety yeah. percent was Asian people. Shut up, man! And it was just fascinating to watch that. Yeah. I think some t another thing that at some point as a culture we're going to have to grapple with is the unhealthy relationship that millions upon millions of people have with sex at this moment yeah. in time. Where, you know, as somebody who has to date the male species, unfortunately, <laughs> trust me, <laughs> half of them are so drugged up on pharmaceuticals they can't even get it up. The other half are banging 100 different people a week. And, I mean, obviously I agree with you, Carrie, that of course somebody go shoot people up however i think it's a real problem that we've never there's never been a time in history that kids are being sexualized so young from a, with a never-ending supply of porn from every angle everywhere they look and i think it's a, that could be a really negative thing yeah, that is, but nobody wants out. to address that because it's related to so many different things well i mean this this whole I mean, we talked about earlier in, the, in in this discussion but it's all it's all about you know Lots of sex and no sex. <laughs> that's, that's what this is about. Lots of sex yeah. ultimately leads to no sex, right? <laughs> yep. that's a, that, yeah. And that's where we've gotten to. So, You know what you make me think about when you when – because you, I was going to say this before, but now you've said it again, and now I, I – it's, it's interesting. It's collectivism mm -hmm. applied to sex, <gasps> right? It's like it's collectivism where, hey, we all share money. Like collectivism is just like, well – no one owns anything, and like it's it, they just took collectivism, like the economic version, and they're like, oh, let's just apply it to sex. It's this is like the it's 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 consistent application of collectivist ideology is that you need to have sex with everyone. Yeah. That is so freaking accurate. There's and I wish I could remember because I've tried to find the book. I I, I I forgot the title of the book, but I've been looking for it. There was a great scholarly analysis of the early years of the Russian Revolution, where one of the primary things that the that the Bolsheviks were pushing was a complete transformation of sexual relations in post-Tsarist Russia, where being you know, that had been a conservative Orthodox Christian culture, and they were basically promoting orgies. They were promoting orgies, they were promoting every, you know, there's no there's no concept of of marital relations, it's it's a free for all. That changed with Stalin, who had essentially he had been a priest or had been trained to be a priest before, so he was always a Puritan. So when Stalin comes in, he just crushed everybody together and starved half the country, whatever. But for the first ten years or so, that was a central part of the Bolshevik program was hypersexualization of the population and removing of boundaries. Wow. Yeah. And well, I, I mean, it I makes think, sense, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that, oh my God, Carter, you always blow my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you hit a very profound truth, and that, that's, that's actually what this is. Uh, it actually where the conversation has got, gotten to, where literally, you know, you can't even, def you know, the word sexual preference is no longer acceptable, you know, to have a- The word preference in every category is not acceptable. Yeah, you will be, def you will be told by the collective what your, there is no preference. You'll be told by the collective what you can do, even with your own body, right? Yeah. And so- uh, this is not a sustainable culture. Uh, I, I give it five years before complete great reset of a different kind, not the one the World Economic Forum wants. I think we're going to have a massive, massive pendulum swing towards a very traditional society, uh, or at least values-wise. I think that's coming, and I think it's bubbling. It'll come from this generation that Mikey's talking about, which is basically burned out on sex. It's going to come from them, you know, 
and they're going to reset it. Yeah, yeah. just a well, note that's on better that, than... I want to read this out. This uh, yeah. For anybody who missed this back when it happened, January first, and this happened as a of Amy being her uh, confirmation hearing when she basically answered a question. She said, "I have never." They were trying to. They were trying to ask if she's if she's homophobic or something. She said, "I have never discriminated on the basis of sexual preference, and would never discriminate on the basis of sexual preference." So you would think there's nothing wrong with that statement, right? <laughs> Well, then they said, ah, ha, ha, there is something wrong with that statement. The term sexual preference is homophobic. And when people pointed out that the very outlets and the very people who were saying that was homophobic had used that phrase themselves, like within the past three months, they've used that phrase. Well, then they changed yep. the dictionary. This was in October of 2020. Um, Miriam Webster's went in and said um, that they, here it is. They said that their dictionary is continually revised and updated. And uh, and they said that da, 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 da. it says the definition of preference in regard to sexual orientation now includes the word offensive in it. So they've added that it's an offensive term. Okay, here we go. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So they could so they could pretend like they never used it. This is yeah. newspeak. This is newspeak. This is rewriting yeah. language and history, right? Yep. It's exactly newspeak. Yeah. 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 You said something that's offensive. Wait a minute. I didn't. And you guys use that term too. Oh, wait. Hey, we're going to change the dictionary. So yeah, now it's offensive. <laughs> yeah. It's offensive now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's that moment in 1984 where if you remember near the climax of the book where, you know, the, he's captured and he's being tortured and they show him the photo that would prove that the, that the, that the, that the government has been lying about some, whatever, some guy was supposed to be where he was supposed to be. And then the photo would prove that the government has been lying about something and he shows him the photo and the guy's like, Oh my God, that's the proof. Right. And the government the guy just throws it in the incinerator and he says, I don't remember it. The government guy says, I don't remember that photo. Yeah. <laughs> Down the memory hole. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, it. yeah, it is. Uh, it's psychological torture, is what it is. Yeah, um, it is. I mean, they are gaslighting the an entire population when they do stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. They're they're gaslighting well, the, an, an entire population. Mm -hmm. We've seen the extent of how we're all being gaslit mm -hmm. over the last year. I mean, in so many different ways: mm -hmm. the lockups, COVID, yeah, Biden period. I mean, the fact that anyone with eyes and ears can look at this person and say you are not well and we've had the entire establishment media everything telling us oh nothing to see here there's nothing wrong with him and now he's falling walking up the stairs yeah so what is that he was walking up the stairs and he fell fell walked fell again uh, really fell this time were they it's sad or it's sad it's you know i i i think the thing is what the media maybe doesn't understand is that almost every person has experienced this with someone they love, whether it's a parent or a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a friend even, that you've seen so an elderly person who is sadly unwell. And this is an unwell man. And any reasonable person with eyes and ears can see it. And it's insane. So a lot of people were saying, oh, I guess this is just a side effect of the stutter. Since the media tried to tell us during the election, all of his verbal issues were, oh, he suddenly 
has a stutter that we never heard about before 2019. The, the stutter that made him say racist stuff about, you know, black people creating a jungle for his children. If he had to put mm -hmm. Suddenly Biden has always had Tourette's. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's new speak. It's, you know, I, that's the way it always was. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's just so articulate and clean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will, you know, I, I'm losing my patience with it, but I can't because the industry I work in is what it is if I want to survive in it. I, I had a recent call with a, 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 a young person who is now the showrunner of a TV show. Like it literally went from assistant to showrunner. That's how it works now. Right. And so, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years and over those 20 years, it'd be like, every time I would sell a show, it'd be like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, camera. You just can't run it. You don't want 15 years of experience is enough. We got to get some rich white person on top of you. Right. To be the showrunner. Right. And now this person's like, you know, okay, well, hey, you know, I'm the assistant. I'm the showrunner. Right? So I'm having a meeting for a potential job. And then this person was saying, you know, was correcting me on some of my language that I used on the, on the interview. Right. Uh, and oh, wow. And, and literally, nice. I, you know, and I, I just went with it. I said, you know, I said, well, well, my intention when saying that word was this. And she said, oh, I know your intention, but I just want you to understand, you know, we have to go past our. our we these, say these, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Exactly. And I just said, I, said, I hope I don't get this job. Uh, <laughs> you're by the way, I hate how they say we say. It's it's what you it's how you talk to kids. Yeah. Right. We say blah blah, blah instead of like. No, the woke language rule is that you say blah blah blah. We say what was it? Who is who is it that said that famously? Was it Trudeau? We we like to say blah blah. Oh, I don't even remember what he said. Humankind, people kind. Yes, we, yeah. people kind. Uh. Wait, camera. Do you remember what the word was that they had a problem with? Yes, yes. I wasn't allowed to use the word humanize. Really? Because, because I was talking about, you know, different how we need to show that we really humanize this ethnicity that's been demonized or whatever, or cultural has been misrepresented. It's like, no, you know, a, the idea, they're already human. And so, it, and so the idea of using <laughs> that, I was like, yes, but, but the, 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 a lot of dumb people don't see them as human. So let's let's because uh, I come from a culture. I'm, I'm Muslim. A, a lot of people don't see my religion as, 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 as part of humanity. They see it as anti-humanity. They see those ones follow it as anti-human. I've experienced that thing. So I was like, yes, they don't really see us as normal humans. So we've got to humanize us in this. And that, that term is apparently out now. So it's amazing. Let me guess what white liberal. Said, yes. White liberal. What if you had said, oh, they are human? Like, <laughs> like what is what do they who do they think they're talking to? I mean, what's the you know they're already human. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I said I, I. was like, okay, please God, please God, get me out of this situation, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's you're like, better man than I am. Me, I have a disease of the mouth called I'm Italian, so I would have just like started screaming. No, my problem no, is I, Mike, you would have said, room. "Are you sure?" <laughs> My problem is I'm very good at giving interviews, and then I can't hide my personality after I get hired. And inevitably, my my Tourette's of truth comes out, and then I, I create a problem in the room. So, God, I was just reading about this new show. I think it's on HBO or something. But the showrunner is a 19 year old with with uh, rich gay parents, and she wrote a show all about mm -hmm. leftist bullshit, what super woke, and she's 19, and her gay dads bought her an HBO show. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, that's how that's how the system works. It's always been but it's been more. There used to be a little bit more talent matters in Hollywood. Now it's all connections. I mean, if, if we if we look at if we look at Game of Thrones, right, we, biggest, you know, ended on a bit of a whimper, but it was huge for 10 years. And, you know, then when the, the gentleman who created the show, you know, David Benioff and Mr. Weiss were talking uh, and again, they weren't really aware how they were being perceived when they said this. They gave an interview about how. 
you know, when when the show got greenlit by HBO, uh, they were given like $10 million to do a first pilot and it didn't work. The pilot didn't work. And so normally what HBO does is they can the project and move on. Instead, they gave them another $10 million and recast it, re redesigned it and did it again and did it and kept... And then you look at at the their background, you know, because I was like, you know, I went, I actually went to college with 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 David Benioff. He was in the cool club in college, and and I wasn't in the cool club. And he's a perfectly nice guy. But one thing I will note is that I've been trying to sell fantasy series, dragons type series, right around the same time. Was told there's no market for them, and suddenly I'm like, what is this Game of Thrones? Green three weeks after I was told there was no market for them, right? Uh, and Mr. Benioff, his father was the president of the New York Federal Reserve. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So the wow. industry is that matters. they kept throwing money at this guy. He had very few credits, and they kept throwing money at him. His partner had a pretty much no credits, and they talk about the interview like, "Hey, you know, we didn't really have any background on TV, and they kept throwing us money. Isn't that great?" I was like, and I'm uh, like "Yeah, you guys don't know really what's happening here, do you?" Because I do. Yeah, <laughs> I know what's happening here. <laughs> Connections and money. This a, is this a symptom that happens when a culture? accumulates enough wealth that you have enough really wealthy people that don't need any more money and they can start to take over institutions and waste money for political uh, purposes rather than just, you know, like normally you would think Hollywood's money would goal would be to make money. And to do that, you would appeal to whatever the largest number of people or whatever the niche you're going after is. And but but when that if you have an infinite well of cash that doesn't matter anymore and if you don't care about money anymore uh because your family is you know worth billions of dollars then it really changes the dynamics of the entire economy it does it becomes oligarch economy and becomes yeah. oligarch media yeah which is where we are so i yep. um i just watched if you, i don't know if you guys have seen yet the there's a documentary out now about the college admission scam, the Operation Varsity Blues. Oh, I heard about and that. And the guy, uh, Rick Singer, who was running the whole thing, you know, used to be, I didn't know this background about him, used to be a, a high school basketball coach and knew the, the sports admissions process very well. And so uh, what he started doing was he started off as a legitimate college admissions coach where you could hire, rich people could hire him for a large sum of money to help coach their kids help them uh, work on their SAT prep and get better scores on the SAT and ACT and help them with their uh, applications and whatnot. Um, But then he, it morphed into where he started selling people, what he called a side door into these elite institutions. And so um, he was letting, he was allowing people who had a lot of excess money to put money Mm -hmm. on the scale. And like you're saying, it's almost sort of, they have so much money. It's like, what can we throw it towards? What was amazing to me was that in some of the cases like in the case of Felicity Huffman, her daughter actually had good enough scores to get into the colleges that she was applying to on her own merit. But he told the parents, she doesn't have good enough scores. There's no guarantee she'll get in. But if you pay me, and so they were paying him sometimes, depending on the the prestige of the school, they were paying between, you know, like half a million dollars to a million to 1.5 million for him to then go to the athletic departments pass these students off as fake athletes who got recruited and then they got put, they got, you know, automatically accepted because they were now recruited by the athletic department. So anyway, in watching this, I had a lot of thoughts about it, but, um, but one of the things that it made me think of was like, yes, rich people always find a way to put their finger on the scale. 
Um, the and other there's people thing, who will manipulate them, which is a lot of what yeah. Hollywood is. People who are telling people what rich people the narrative is now, right? And rich yeah. people are like, oh, I just want, I want to fit into the narrative. And so there's people that are suckering them with with various political and sexual narratives. And rich people are like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be phobist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Let's so here, let's give you some money. You go do that. Yeah, and they also it also made me think though about um, one one of the talking heads they had in the documentary, or a couple of them actually seem to be again and one of them outright said explicitly said that they he's against the SAT he's against standardized testing at all. <laughs> oh sorry. Uh, so is Tiger. Tiger has about it too. Sorry guys. And that he and that he would do away with standardized testing because rich people can afford to get their kids coaching and help them do better on it. And I thought that was just so wrong, so backwards. If anything, we should be pushing for meritocracy and pushing for using standardized testing. Mm-hmm. And and it it occurs to me that the people who are getting screwed in all of this are like the Asian students who get good enough scores and who don't necessarily come from a rich background. Anyway, I just had a lot of thoughts about the doc. But you know, like I said, I'm a follower of Malcolm X, and Malcolm X would have said exactly the same thing. His whole his whole thing was, "Do not accept a handout." You know, it is it is to dumb you down. And when he was in prison and he had a spiritual transformation, what he did was he took the Merriam-Webster dictionary and he memorized it. This is a guy that was a street hoodlum, right? This guy was a street hoodlum, and suddenly he transformed himself. He memorized. The, the, the dictionary, so that when he came out, he became one of the greatest orators of the 20th century. That's self-creation. I, you, I mean, this guy did it in prison when he spent half the time in the hole because he was such a feared inmate, right? And he, so his whole philosophy is do not accept, the, these guys, they want to keep you down. They want to change, you know, they want to lower the educational standards so that you don't ever compete with them, right? So his whole thing was master the system. And then you will master your masters, right? And and boom, <laughs> took care of it. He was taken out of the picture real fast. So yeah, I assume well, you're a fan of the later room. Malcolm X, not the earlier post because well, I mean, post prison Malcolm X like had two phases, right? And the first yeah. phase was a little bit disturbing. Well, yeah, he went through his his radical transformation from the prison from the thug to the prison thug to the nation of Islam, which gave him purpose, right? But it also gave him this, you know, white people are the devil racism, right? And then. But he always had a conservative philosophy of self empowerment, even during that stage, right? Yeah. And then yeah. he then he transcended that. He you know he lost faith in the nation of Islam, and he and he ended up becoming a normative Muslim, and he went to Mecca, and then he saw white people, and it was all normal, and he came back, and exactly it was when he started saying, you know, you know, I was wrong. You know, we're all human beings, and uh, and God created all of us, and and but he never let go of his conservative philosophy of of transform yourself and find your own power, right? He never let go of that. But the moment he started saying, you know, white people aren't the devil, and I was wrong about that, he gets taken out by what he was. He's not taken out by white supremacists. He's taken out by mm-hmm. radicals, the nation of Islam. Black guys take him out, right? Right. Because they're like they, they right. got to shut this guy up now. Now he's he's messing with our whole movement. Yeah, and it, it, I I like late Malcolm X is pretty awesome. I mean, yeah. he was cut down exactly exactly when he started to say really great stuff, and yeah. he could say it well. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And he trained himself to say it well. So that I mean, you know, if any of you have, haven't seen it, watch Spike Lee's movie on Malcolm X, which shows his his. I think we talked about this on the last thing I was on, right? It shows Probably. his transformation. And Denzel Washington's is uh, is such it's, it's it's his best performance in my experience. But you show and it told his actual his humanity. I mean, you know, even his background. How did he become a street thug? His father was actually a a, a popular Christian preacher who got killed by the KKK. His father was thrown in front of a train, right, for being this impassioned Christian, uh, you know, a pastor who was who was in strengthening the, the black church in the area. And so then 
from that experience, you know, without a father, he ended up on the wrong path and then he found another path. But this guy is a remarkable human being. Yeah. Yeah. I got to so, watch that movie. Yeah, absolutely. So my friends, I actually need to start winding down okay. here on my end because I got to head out. So is there any <laughs> last thing I can say about, I hope I get well, back on Twitter. I have all these lovely photos to share, which I can't share anymore. So. Oh, you're funny. Well, you t I know what photos you're sharing. Can you tell people where they can find I like you now? What's wrong with that? Whatever. It is. There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> uh, where can people find you now? Since you're you're perma band, you're one of the unpersons. Yeah, well, I'm person. Well, you know, you can always go to my website, which is my name, Cameron Pasha, K A M R A N P S H A dot com. There, you know, I've got a couple of novels published. I've, I have a blog. Uh, you can follow me there. Uh, I'm not very active on that blog. Uh, I may become again now, but uh, you know, I'm also on Facebook. If you want to hunt me down uh, under my name, and my Instagram is my name, Cameron Pasha seventy two. So that that's pretty much where I'm going to be. Yeah. And at this point, the interesting thing is. I found that I'm getting a, a, more of a life here on YouTube and, 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 you know, and able to, and I prefer this kind of format because those little snippets don't reflect a person's beliefs or character. And that's how they're misused. I actually, I'm preferring more to share my views now. I don't really share them on Instagram and I don't stop sharing them on Facebook. Uh, and so if you want to hear my perspective, whenever I show up, I hope you guys will watch. That's it. Cool. Well, we can still take small clips of this out of context and post them around the web if you'd like. <laughs> you're just you're all you do is humanize me my friend <laughs> <laughs> well unintended unintended uh -huh. you know we just don't do that anymore all right guys all right thank you Mike, it was Take a care, meeting you i hope we're meeting you dude yes, thanks definitely. for coming all right guys god bless we'll talk soon bye bye later <sighs> i'm so can I give a quick you go ahead, oh, sorry, go ahead. do you think i was just gonna say i'm so happy mommy and daddy are back together I did a show with one of you, and then I did a show with the other. Oh, oh yeah. I decided to both of you <laughs> at the same time. I'm like, wait a minute. Were Carrie and I apart at some point? <laughs> we did interview Because Carrie couldn't yeah. make it on the last one I did with you, and you couldn't make it the one I was on her. So I'm just happy to be with them both of you yeah, at the same yeah. time. Well, Mommy and Daddy are here for you, little Mikey. Mm -hmm. It's all good. <laughs> Only um, Tiger calls me Mommy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'm glad you got to meet him, Mikey, because you're both uh, writers, awesome. obviously, and uh, you have, as I've said before, one of the, the funniest screenplays that I've read uh, in a long thank time. You. Yeah, working on making it. <laughs> Can I give a quick I, up? This is like a, a downer. It's not a downer. It's just an update. So we did this show. I did this interview with Lisa Hansen. Remember this interview earlier this week? Yeah. Um, Mikey, I don't. You probably don't know who I'm talking about, but she's a business owner in Minnesota who was basically being harassed by um, local officials, including the attorney for the city, who like lots of lawsuits, fines being dragged to court, arrest warrant issued for her, all this stuff. And Over what? Keeping her business open despite the governor's edict. She actually um, closed it for a long time. She followed the edict, but then did. when she decided she had to make a decision if they were going to lose their business forever or just open it up. And she ended up opening it up in November or December. Um, so that yeah. so they wouldn't go under. Yeah. Uh, and it's closed again now, but they're again, hoping, hoping to uh, open it up. But um, the sheriff, the one silver lining has been the sheriff has been, uh, Supportive. The sheriff is basically like, we're not going to arrest you. They actually got an arrest warrant like issued for her. And the sheriff was like, we're not, we're not going to arrest you. <laughs> right. 
Um, but I don't know if she's in jail right now, but she might be uh, because I've been talking to her. I was trying to get her on camera, but I don't. I think we ran out of time. I'm I'm not totally sure. But let me share with you uh, what has unfortunately happened. So here is, and let's see if I can do this. There we go. The city attorney who is harassing her, the one who refused to take paperwork that she's legally obliged to take, she sent this letter to a judge asking the judge to order the sheriff to arrest her. Wow. We don't have to go through the letter, but this is what this Kelly Martinez is her name, the city attorney. She sent this letter saying, Judge, please order the sheriff to arrest Lisa. Now, of course, the sheriff doesn't have to do that. The sheriff is within his rights. I, not a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people understand this much, but sheriffs don't have to do crap. Uh, they're elected and their allegiance is to the Constitution of the United States. So they don't have to do anything. But apparently, this sheriff caved. The judge said yes. And then the sheriff caved and uh, she is planning to be arrested. She's like, re she responded um, with a written agreement. Like, yes, okay. Like uh, I will allow myself to be arrested uh, with a protest, like a counterclaim. Um, and that's, I just want to give you that quick status update. So uh, for those of you who've been following the story, I don't remember the links um, to support her, but they're in the other video and we'll put them at the bottom of this video when the show's over. Um, if Beverly wants to find them and throw them in chat, she can. But uh, Hi, Beverly. but yeah, I think I think Lisa is being arrested. She was at her house this morning with like family and friends waiting for someone from the sheriff's office to show up and arrest her. So. And can I also ask if you are active on Twitter, let's tweet at some people there because the, the legacy media doesn't want to cover this stuff. I mean, there have been in some articles, but there need to be more. And if and and the city is not catching any heat for this, as far as I can tell right now, um, this city attorney who is persecuting her, Kelly Martinez, you should use that name in your tweets and you can tweet mm -hmm. at at city of Albert Lee. I tweeted at them. You can also tweet if you want to the ACLU of Minnesota because they're not doing anything because they don't care about civil liberties anymore. But you can tweet at them and let you, let them know you're upset. Um, Maybe if you tell them she was misgendered, they'll care. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Right. Um, but I really think people need to, you know, there's a, we're going to put up the links where you can support her, her legal battle financially. One of the things I really liked about that interview you did with her Carter was that, I mean, she's such a strong character. Like she has a, yeah. a good moral character and she is, she's also, she recognizes this isn't just about saving her business. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, they wanted to save their business, their small business, so it didn't go under and their business wasn't destroyed. But she said, this is bigger than that. This is about what America do our kids and grandkids live in. This is, this is about the rule of law. And, and you know, if you want to help her because she's someone, I've been saying for a while, we need strong people of strong character who are willing to go to jail for their beliefs. And there's very few yep. people who are willing to do that. So when you see someone who is, say, help them in any way you can. If you can't support her financially, her, her legal battle, then you can at least tweet about it and post about it, share the video, the interview with her. I would love it if she would get picked up and you know be able to do interviews on some larger channels as well. 
So yeah, um, the light, this this needs to go viral. <clears throat> this story. Yeah. Um, because there's also, if you haven't seen it, there's also video. You can watch how she was treated when. Really quick overview. The city attorney uh, held a hearing without Lisa's knowledge. <laughs> like she, there was an arraignment with that Lisa wasn't that Lisa wasn't aware of. She happened to show up to, and the judge was, you know, shocked that she didn't know what was going on because the city attorney was like, well, I mailed some stuff, I guess, like, I assume you got it by now. Um, it was like, you know, two or three days before. And uh, so she needed to file some paperwork as a result of this. And she went to the city attorney's office to hand paperwork. You need to get a signature, it's legal paperwork. She needs to like hand it to someone in the city's attorney's office and get a signature that they had accepted this paperwork. Um, she's being, cooperative this paperwork actually would have helped to the city attorney like she has an obligation to share with the city attorney this paperwork and they just refused to take it from her it was the most childish petty tyrannical bureaucratic thing you could imagine they refused to take the paperwork and they ended up pressing a panic button and calling SWAT uh, just officers but whatever what? they pressed a panic button so they're like I don't know four five six police cars showed up uh, to deal with this woman who was trying to hand in paperwork at the city. It's, it's 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 one of the most outrageous, ridiculous stories. And if anyone in mainstream media actually picked it up, I think normal people would look at this and say, Kelly Martinez needs to be fired immediately. But uh, yeah, but no one's picking my, it up. So. My, this is in Minnesota and the town of Albert Lee. And, and Mikey, yeah, she went to search his video where she tried to serve the city attorney. And like Carter said, the city attorney would not accept the papers. And then when she rightfully said, I guess I'll have to call the sheriff to serve you then. Then the city attorney pressed that panic button. And by doing that, she not only diverted all of these cops from the rest of the city, where if anything was happening somewhere else and those cops were needed, well, now they're all swarming the city attorney's office for a fake emergency. Um, but she also put her life at risk because, in, you know, in a lot of, as Carter, you pointed out in the interview, in a lot of cities, cops are trained. If you're calling in SWAT, they're going to come in with guns blazing usually yeah. and so she's so a panic that, button it's like an unknown button. situation yeah. that is presumably pretty tense right like it's a panic button yeah i'm panicking I, because i don't want to be served papers that's what yeah. she's doing yeah imagine yeah. what would happen if the average person did that oh they go to jail because someone was trying to serve them papers yeah i mean in a just world kelly martinez would be in trouble for pressing the panic panic button. I mean, it's illegal to call to like place false 911 calls and that kind of stuff. You can't you can't do that. Um yeah. and she of all she should be held to a higher standard. I mean, she's the city attorney. She knows full well what pressing the panic button means. But yeah. uh you know, she did it anyway. You know, someone in chat is saying uh Guy Fox uh Guy Fo, I'm going to call you. Uh, says, as an officer of the court, a sheriff must comply with the court's orders. I've heard conflicting things on that, so maybe we should have um, a constitutional lawyer like Chris Ann Hall or someone back. My understanding was that the sheriff does not have to comply with the court order, uh, but maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. Regardless, the court did order this, and the sheriff did uh, cave. So and, that's where we and are. This, again, this is a mother and a grandmother, an upstanding member of the community, simply trying to operate her business and save it from going under. You don't have to go to that business. 
you don't have to go. And if you go, you don't have to wear, you, you know, you don't have to go without a mask. You can choose what you do. She's offering, I, I'm so sick of this idea that uh, we are such fragile creatures um, who don't have, we're not adults. We don't have any sense of personal responsibility. If a cafe opens that I'm somehow forced to be there against my will, if I feel that it's unsafe, it's ridiculous. If you don't support her opening, then don't go. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. why the, you know, we've been saying for years that like, that's why their attitude towards minority groups is now being reported to the general public where they've been, how they've been treating black people and LGBT people for years that you're a fragile China doll. You need our supervision. You can't do anything. You're unsafe. And now look what that's turned into. Yeah. Someday we're going to have a bureaucrat who gets misgendered and presses the panic button because she's feeling verklempt. <laughs> I'm surprised yeah. that hasn't happened already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this so, is, there's a story about there's a woman, Carrie, we talked about this on Twitter, but there's this woman in New York who uh, had her young daughter taken away because she, the mother, outside did not wear a mask. Wait, I what? saw that. Yeah. She wasn't wearing a mask outside? Outside. She took her daughter to school and didn't have a mask on. And I'm pretty sure she was vaccinated and all this other stuff. Um, yeah. And so, her, so her, she was in a divorce and the husband used that to take her kid away. The judge agreed. Yeah. So she's they in won't a let the mother take her to school. Won't give her wow. visitation. Nothing. Yeah. This so is reported like this by everywhere. This is reported by Cassandra Fairbanks, and she uh, the the it was in New York. It was a private school. The school has a really draconian COVID policy, and until this story came out, their policy was you had to you could go to their website and you could see how you were required as a parent and student to sign. They had a contract of social responsibility that was you know yay long. And included stuff in it like uh, if one of the students, like the Canada rule, if one of the students in the class comes down with COVID, that you agree to quarantine your child for 14 days, whether or not they're positive, whether or not they actually have COVID, you agree, a social contract of the school to put your child in quarantine for 14 days. They had a lot of draconian measures. And so anyway, this, like you said, like Mikey said, the, the, the mother dropped the kid off, was outside on the public sidewalk without a mask. The school uh, reported her, and then the father used that in front of a family court judge to say she's putting the daughter's life at risk, and so they uh, awarded the father temporary custody. I mean, family <clears throat> courts are a, a separate issue of evil. Like, they're separate. There's a whole category of evil is family courts, uh, but I didn't realize that. That's, I guess, it's not I mean, surprising. Can, but. can anyone explain to me, period, why? Uh, there's all this stuff with children who it's virtually, you know, it's so rare that children get COVID. Why do they need to wear masks? Why do they need to stay apart? I think it's because the government already has control over children through schools. And so they can. Yeah. I, I think it's just a question of like, where can we flex our authoritarian muscle? What have we got? Schools? Excellent. We'll do schools. Like, you know, if they owned Twitter, which I guess they practically do, they would, uh, they would do the same thing at Twitter. And they right. said it was in the, there was a report in the New York times that now they're saying uh, with schools, Oh, it's only three feet that they have to distance as if that's good. Um, but there was this report in the New York times where they were talking about uh, who decided the six feet of distancing. And it says right in there 
that the number was pulled out of nowhere and there's no basis behind it. Right. Well, there doesn't have to be a basis. There's, well, I think actually they get off more on having no basis behind what they're saying and making you yeah. comply with it than, than if they have some justification. <laughs> and people do it. People do it. Yeah. So I, I wanted to yeah. date on something we talked about a long because this, this case is still working its way through uh, family court in Canada. And I don't know if you saw this update, Carter, but this is the father who is uh, estranged or divorced. From, I think he's divorced from his ex. And then wants to be, uh, she's 15. She wants to be. Hey, Carrie, Carrie, you totally froze. And, so we missed, yeah. we're missing this. We, you froze. Can you reintroduce the case? Oh, yeah. So this again. is about the father. And, there you are. Oh. Am I here? There you are. Oh, you just uh, Okay. You're kind of okay, well, let's try now. <laughs> Can you see now? Okay. This is about the yeah, father yeah, in Canada. The father in Canada mm -hmm. who's been um we talked about this briefly last year, but it's still working its way through family court. His his wife supports their daughter's gender transitioning. Their daughter's fifteen. Um she was when this first started working its way through court, she's decided she's male and wants to be referred to as he and him and also wants to start uh, puberty blockers and other medical interventions. The father opposes this and they, this is the judge that told the father he would be in violation, contempt of court and would be harming his daughter if he did not use he, him pronouns. Um, he, the, the judge also put a gag order on the father, so he wasn't allowed to talk to the press about this story or to use his own name or his daughter's name or his wife's name. Um, so effectively trying to keep him from even getting the word out about this. The judge said it, he wasn't allowed to talk to the press. So uh, it turns out he has been talking to the press. He has not been using the he, him pronoun. And so he was just arrested. Arrested. In oh, Canada, that part. yeah, he was just arrested because he's not referring to his daughter. Um, it came out, or the the piece came out in the Post Millennial. Then it's been picked up by the New York Post and a lot of other places as well. Um, but it says, uh, "Here's a headline from from uh, the Post Millennial: Father jailed after referring to biological female child as his daughter." The warrant was issued by a judge for the arrest of a father after calling his biological female child his daughter and referring to her with the pronouns she and her was to be in contempt of court. And they start this article by saying there's a man in Canada who can only be alluded to as he who shall not be named. And they say that because the press is under gag. They're not supposed to report this guy's name. What a great way of what? making sure nobody finds out what's happening. Yeah. But they put his name, Robert Hoogland. For the sake of natural justice, it's important to speak this man's name. He's now the Canadian state's prisoner of conscience. The warrant was issued by a judge for the arrest of a father after calling his biological female child his daughter and referring to her with the pronouns she and her. Hoogland was found to be in contempt of court. Hoogland is a father to a gender nonconforming biological female, 14-year-old, sorry, he's 14, who identifies as transgender and prefers the use of male pronouns. Hoogland has repeatedly called this person his daughter, though the court has forbidden it. As at Tuesday, yeah, 10 a.m. Vancouver time, Hoogland surrendered himself to the court in response to the Attorney General of British Columbia's warrant for his arrest for contempt. He was then arrested and jailed. 
I mean, this is what this is what Jordan Peterson warned about Bill C sixteen, and everyone said you're crazy. He talked about compelled speech, and he said, "Hey, you know this this law C sixteen is going to allow compelled speech." And they were, "Oh, pshaw, Jordan, that's crazy. It's not it's not going to be compelled speech." Well, what are they doing? They're compelling this guy to speak a certain way. Um, yeah. I mean, that's I, never going to happen. That's not happening. Whatever they say is not happening is the accepted reality of six months yeah. from now. Exactly. And, yeah. In fact, the, father, the fact that they're loudly saying it's not happening is evidence that that's exactly their plan. Yep. That's why they're screaming about it yeah. not happening. Yep. The father rightly pointed out, if you read interviews with him, the ones that remain up, by the way, a lot of the interviews have been scrubbed. If they're Canadian press, it, it, I mean, it's insane. But if you read the ones that are up, he talks about how, um, you know, uh, the the vast majority of these kids and teenagers who are now deciding they're trans end up reversing that decision and desisting. And he said, what kind of father would I be? I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but what kind of father would I be if years from now she regrets this and she regrets the medical intervention and she looks at me and says, why didn't you do something to stop me? Right. Right. Because it is his job as a parent. <laughs> yeah. It's so horrible. Everything that's happening. It's like, I don't know. At this point, it's hard to even see the way back from all of this shit. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a way back. There's maybe a way through. Like maybe we just, I don't know. Maybe it's back. It's going to come to a head. I think it's clearly going to come to a head and either we're all going to comply and those of us who don't are going to get permanently silenced or there's going to be some great reckoning and I don't think that's going to be pretty. I don't know what that looks I mean, like. And I feel like this gender issue relates to so many other things. I feel like we talked about this years ago on one of the shows I do with you guys, but this is really the issue where we have allowed people to come in and say truth is not truth. Science is not science. Biology is not biology. And now we're seeing how that's being applied to every other aspect of our lives. Yeah, it's I I don't actually think the left cares at all about the trans issues, uh, the kids. Them, clearly, they don't care about the kids, but I don't think they, they care about the trans issues. They don't really care about any of this. What they care about is, can we get you to agree that two plus two is five? Yep. Do we have control over you? You must show, you must demonstrate that you will obey. And we're going to choose this. We're going to choose this particular thing to get you to agree to. And we're going to say that there aren't two genders. And we're going to make up a whole bunch of crap that has nothing to do with science. And we're going to pretend like it's real. And you've got to comply. And if you don't, then we know you're a wrong thinker and you will be punished. And, and also- you know that this has... I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just saying, and you know that this has nothing to do with transgender people because transgender people have always existed for decades and decades and decades, and it was never a problem mm-hmm. until right. these radical authoritarians came in and decided to use them to push an agenda. Yeah. And and unfortunately, it, it's backfiring because a lot of people now feel like they have to choose between their either pro-transgender or anti-transgender. That has nothing to do with anything. I agree. It's creating a lot of of anti-trans mm-hmm. uh, prejudice where it did not exist before. Actually, yep. we were progressing quite 
nicely before they started to the authoritarians started to try and put this into law. And it's not just can we get you to comply and say two plus two equals five and to lose all sense of integrity, but it's also can we codify it into law that we can jail you if you don't? <laughs> can we get well, laws that's how you on get the people books? to comply, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean can we get laws the on the books control. like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's that's yeah, but the laws are the law. The purpose of the laws is to get compliance, and and I think I don't think we're at the stage quite yet. Although I think we're close, I don't think we're at the stage in 1984 quite yet where they want you to believe it, not just say it. I think right now they're happy if you just say it and suffer quietly. I think they're relying on enough people saying it and suffering quietly that that will convince other people that it's true. And then they'll switch to now you have to actually believe it. Well, maybe I'm wrong. I, I, some I don't people think would, we're quite there. Some people would argue my, 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 my preacher gave a sermon about this. And, and I think some people would argue that they actually prefer that you say it and don't believe it. That they I have think right that, now. That's true. Yeah. They have that much control over you that you're willing to say something that's not true. He gave an example of, I think it was Nero who forced Christians to do these, these compelled confessions. Right. And, that part of part of what a tyrant is doing when they do that is is having you betray yourself and your own sense of integrity. It's almost like they get off on you knowing that what you're saying is not true and doing it anyway. They've broken you yeah, entirely I, I then. Yeah. Yeah, I and, agree. Uh, but I do think I, that gets you can take that another step further, which is you will agree to believe it, <laughs> right? Like because I order you to believe it. And I don't think we're quite at, you remember 1984, like there, there was that like, Winston knew it wasn't true and they wanted him to know it wasn't true and to know that he needed to actually believe it. Like he was so broken that he was willing to accept whatever they said was true as truth and actually believe it. Not because he judged it to be true, but because he was so dependent on them intellectually and, and morally. I don't think we're, quite maybe i'm wrong i don't think we're quite there i think we're at the stage that you're talking about that bradley's talking about where it's like they're reveling in the fact that people hate it but are saying it anyway <laughs> they're enjoying no, the been, suffering and that's why this issue is particularly insidious because it is allowing them to construct an entirely new reality which is biologically scientifically and factually false and getting everyone to submit and comply you know just um a couple years ago when i first came out doing this stuff when we did our first um lgbt town hall event and it was a big controversy and stuff i had a friend of mine say to me that was the big thing that i was getting hit on is saying that there are two genders um and this friend of mine said he's like why can't you just go along with just this one thing just you don't have to believe it just pretend to feel that there are a million genders i was like i will not no absolutely not because there aren't why can't you just go along with it yeah just right. go along the, with saying the sky is purple. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, th I think I could get philosophical about this, so I won't, but I, I will quickly get a little bit. I'll just mention a little bit. This is one of the problems I have with pragmatism as a philosophy, and I think actually pragmatism is the means by which bad philosophy has has crept into our culture. Um, and be because it's this idea that like, well, you kind of do what's practical, not what's principled. And if you came at like previous American culture with re some of these really bad ideologies, people would reject them because their principles are horrible. They're just, they're obviously bad, right? But what you do is you instead 
introduced this idea that sticking to principles isn't really that important. You got to get along and be practical and compromise on principle and blah, blah, blah. And it introduces this mindset that your friend is is echoing, Mikey, where it's like, well, but why can't you just say it to get like, just just say it to get along? Like, I don't, I don't know. Why would you stick to a principle? That makes you an extremist. Anyone who no. sticks to a principle is a crazy extremist. Conspiracy we all have there. to just be practical, right? And that's how bad ideas, it's like a, sticking to your principles is your immune system for a culture. And, and pragmatism is like, uh, it's like, it's like a radiation. It like destroys your immune system. And so people don't stick to their principles anymore. And then the cancer like, or whatever it is, whatever disease spreads throughout the body. Um, because the immune system is now compromised. Well, and well, and it never stays with the one thing that you're supposed to play make believe with. It doesn't stay with gender. Now we have to play make believe that children are in desperate danger from COVID and all of these other things. Yeah, they because once they've broken you, I mean, you're very pliable and susceptible to the next lie that they want you to repeat. Um, I have to take a quick break, guys. I'll be right back. (laughs) Coffee. Uh-huh. I didn't have enough. <laughs> uh-huh. I got we'll a take off screen. It was the best money I've ever spent. <laughs> you did what? But no, I what's that? What'd you say just now? I missed. I bought a Keurig machine. It was the best hundred bucks oh. I've ever spent. <laughs> Not that it's yeah. really good. It's just there. Yeah, but um, I mean, we have. No, I think it, we have something like that. So good. I, I don't love it. But um, yeah, no. So many people have just been all too willing to hand their balls over to these people. Yeah, and they'll never get I, them back. No, and I, you know, someone in chat was saying, like, do we really? Can we push through? Like, or can we really undo it? Hold on, let's see. Johnny Boy, quick draw. Good name says not to be a Debbie Downer, but we need to push through. Going back to where we are, where we were. That that is a place that led to where we are now. Yeah, so I agree with Johnny Boy, quick draw on yeah. this. I think this has been so long in the making, and the dominoes have like the dominoes were set in place. Not, I'm not saying it's a big conspiracy, but like things evolved from a particular place. And I think wind, like rewinding to the 90s just means that we re-experience all this 30 years later. It doesn't solve the problem. Oh, yeah. um, we need to confront the fact that like, what did we do to let this bad ideology and why is this ideology bad? How is it destructive? And what do we need to change about our culture and ourselves to prevent this from happening in the future after we destroy it, which it absolutely needs to be, you know, when I say destroy, I just mean taken out of power. It needs to be of stripped of its power. But no, I agree. It's just difficult to see how to accomplish that when so many people who agree with us are just so cowardly. Well, I think now I'm I being think, a damn Debbie Downer, but no, <laughs> no, I well, but I agree with you on it is hard, right? Um, oh, wait, Carrie's back, I think. Yep, hey. it is hard. It is hard to do. Um, and I, there, that's the silver lining of w- what's happening now. Is like because it's becoming more prominent, and they're going crazier and crazier. I actually think that maybe the best strategy. This is what the accelerationists think, right? Like the best, like let it go whole hog. Like you know, yes, fight it, but fight it by pointing out to people how crazy it is show the craziness and like hope that the craziness just escalates because the if they move too quickly and they go crazy too quickly people will notice 
right? They, it's like uh, it's like the frog in the pot analogy. If they cr- if you convince if they crank up the heat too quickly, the frog will jump out, and that's the only way that we could potentially do something here. Otherwise, people will just the next generation. It will be easier for them to accept, and the generation after that, it's easier. And like it just you know we get boiled by Marxism. They'll notice, but I, the scary thing is, what are they going to do about it? Yeah. Hopefully well, I mean, you stand up for principle. Some people what you do. won't, though. I mean, there will always be. I think the resistance is building, like you said, as it gets crazier. There's more people who can see it, but I also think there's uh, there's some contingent of people, and I don't know how big that is, who will never denounce it. I mean, you know, Alexander Solzhenitsyn yeah. writes about I mean, people who were thrown into gulags, who were turned in by their family members, by their friends, and who even in a prison camp would not denounce the Marxist Party. Right would not, you know, it's like, there's some people. I think actually that's a lot of people, right? But, but we don't need a lot of people to, uh, we don't need a lot of people. We just, because they don't have a lot of people either. It's most of the people are just going along with whatever they think they need to go along with in order to like not get themselves in too much trouble. So we don't actually need a lot of people. We need the right people. We need like, for example, if this attempt that Gab and Minds and those companies are doing to build an alternate uh, infrastructure online works, uh, if we start building an alternate economy, if we start having a place for people to go, like that becomes that that doesn't need a whole lot of like there will be a place once people see that like oh actually I don't have to be in this world I can be in this other world, um, you know maybe maybe that's all it will take. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too optimistic. I, I think people just need to be bolder. You know, I I will begrudgingly say one point of respect to the left is that they get what they want. They, you know, I've been saying for a long time, I think a lot of our people, we need to like start basically cosplaying as leftists and have half the dedication that they do, unfortunately. Yeah. Because so many they do people have a lot of dedication. So complacent. Yeah. And don't too many, so many people just don't want to make a fuss and don't want to rock the boat. It, it's exactly what you said. This is not most people, this ideology. It's just most people in places of power. So, and even them, a lot of them, most of them, I'm sure, don't believe it. So, if every single person who was against this shit and didn't believe in it were to just vocalize that, it would be done with yesterday. And I think, yeah. I think we need, I think we need more people like Lisa Hansen in Minnesota is going to jail over her principles and people like Robert Hoogland, the father in Canada is going to jail over his principles. We need people who are willing, who are that courageous and willing to be jailed for their principles. There won't be a lot of those people, but, but the ones who are there, like I said, we need to stand behind them because they're willing to do that and to take that flack for all of us. Um, I don't know. But, but yeah, even no, I, agree. I would say even less than that to anyone watching who because, you know, I'm sure you guys get the same messages from people on the DL. Oh, I secretly agree with you, but I can yes. never say it. Yes, right. you can say it and you will say it. <laughs> You've got to say it now. Who was I talking to the other day? Was it you? I don't think it was you, Mikey, but it was someone about this, about like when people say I'm secretly supportive. I um, I, man, I wish I could remember who it was I was talking to. Uh that doesn't mean they're supportive. That no. means they're getting support from you. To be supportive of someone, 
you have to actually support them where they need it, which is they're out in the public taking all this flack. If you're supportive, that means you're flapping your mouth in support of them out in public defending them. If you're messaging them quietly saying, I agree and I secretly support you, you're not supportive. You're like, getting support from them. That's what you're telling them. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for secretly supporting me by saying all these things I'm too afraid to like and support you for saying. <laughs> right. You're. They mean the opposite. They're not get. They're not supportive of you. I never they're thought of it that support. way. I never thought of it that way. You're right. <laughs> no, and I would say the complacent uh, DL supporters are every bit to blame as much as for why we're in this situation as the leftists are, because if there would have been pushback every single time that they tried anything, even just with banning people on social media, nobody said anything when it was Milo, when it was Laura Loomer, when it was Alex Jones. And now we're in this position where anyone an inch right of center is banned. Yeah. Right. And when you and DM the same thing with the who's, lockdowns, who's... with the mass, with everything, there's just, there's just never been any sort of, mobilized pushback in any real it's, way it's cowardice it's cowardice mm -hmm. and when you when you dm someone who is out in the public taking flack for this and you tell them you're you're being supportive that person doesn't get like if i get a dm like that i don't feel supported i don't need that i don't need no, quiet people them. saying <laughs> you're right i know i'm right I need people like <laughs> out, I need people out in the world saying, "Hey, this stuff is crazy." This they maybe taking stuff that I've said and putting their own spin on it, or coming up with their own arguments about the same thing. Like going in the same direction, doing the work. Like I hate to use the phrase, but doing the work themselves, like going uh, out. That's what's yeah. supportive. What's supportive is seeing, "Hey, Carrie is out there speaking. Mikey is out there speaking. Cameron Pasha is out there speaking." That's how I get support. I see support through other people doing the same thing out there, not through people cowardly, like little, you know, I, I really actually like you, but I'm too much of a whip mm. to tell anyone. Like, all right, well. Let me put an know. asterisk on that though. Uh, just for anyone who's new, they probably heard me say this where I don't, not everybody needs to be doing the same thing, meaning doing a podcast or doing interviews no. or anything, but just doing the same thing in terms of what to whatever degree you can talking about it with friends and family um, saying, standing up for truth. When you're presented with mm -hmm. an opportunity where you have to speak a lie or speak truth, speak truth. doesn't matter to how many people you're doing it in front of. It could be one person. Speak truth. That's all. Speak truth. Um, by the way, Kent says, he gives us I a super this. chat. And he says, a year ago, you had 1,500 on YouTube. We're winning. Hell yes, we are, Kent. The, the thing is, the resistance to this, as it, things get crazier, the resistance is growing. Um, I gave a, I gave a, uh, lecture last night and a Q and A. And if you're watching Sue, thank you. Uh, it was good practice for me getting over. I still have some of this anxiety when I can see people that I'm talking to, <laughs> but anyway, so good though. well, thank you, sir. But um, anyway, as part of the Q and A, someone asked me, now I was talking to a room full of Republicans and the, it, they had different kinds of questions than liberals have. And the Republican said, do you, do you think that this is going to end anytime soon? And the answer is like, there's good and bad in my gut opinion. And I think yours, Carter, no, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse first, but as it gets worse and escalates, the good news is that the resistance is growing. It's like a, it's like a, yep. let's use a virus analogy. <laughs> Those of us who are being inoculated, we're inoculating more people. There's more people waking up all the time. 
and and right. I, I meet them. I know you guys meet them. So that's the that's the silver lining is people are waking up. Yeah, and the more obviously destructive the virus, the better it is for convincing people to vaccinate. All right. I'm so proud of you guys. I think you had maybe like 20 subscribers when I was on the first time. I'm so proud of you guys. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> you were you were very and one of them very was early, you, Mikey. Mikey. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was I now remember who it was I was talking to and he doesn't I'm pretty sure he would his it wouldn't be good for me to share his name right now um cuz he's facing legal uh issues. But um yeah, I I was talking to that same person about this Lisa thing the other day, and I, I want to see how this strikes you guys. One thing that really bothers me is that most of the people, so I was talking to this this guy, and he we we're looking at people who are standing up like Lisa. How many people are like standing up and fighting? A disproportionate number, this is anecdotal, a disproportionate number seem to be women. And I'm wondering, where the hell are you guys? Men, your job is to like protect society. Where the hell are you? Why is it Lisa that has to stand up and fight this battle? Where are the guys? Where are the actual men in society standing up and fighting this? And I know that sounds sexist and I don't care, but where are you? Where, where are the actually masculine men standing up and fighting this? Why is it, why are we leaving it to grandmothers to go to jail for their beliefs? Where are the men hopped up on antidepressants? Zombified compliance. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that that's part <laughs> of what's, I think that's part of what's happened is, is culturally is that we have, um, you know, the, as part of the social justice ideology, there's been this all out assault on what they call toxic masculinity. Well, then they say, right. hey, no, it's not just toxic masculinity, it's traditional masculinity that's a problem. And then they attack a traditional masculinity. And now they're just outright attacking masculinity itself. Um, there, they always been, meant that, we know <laughs> that's that. That's what they always <laughs> meant. But there's been this sort of attempt to, as you've pointed out before, Carter, treat men as if they're somehow um, defective women. And and right. to, they're just broken to, girls. Boys are broken. Broken girls. girls, right? And and I think a lot of men, especially, I mean, you can see this if you look at the most extreme examples of this. You, it would be to look to men who are in the woke ideology. Um, they're some of the most cowed, cucked, subservient, yeah. uh, you know, manipulated, uh, somewhat I was it like emotionally abused men I've ever met. You know, they're like that. They're broken. They're broken men. When you <laughs> yeah. teach men that they're that the essence of manhood is broken femininity, you end up with broken men, which is what yeah. you have. It's just, you know, I'm here to shut up and be quiet and listen to women, my wife, and I'm here to, you know, do your bidding, ladies. And um, it, it's just this emasculated, unattractive, and that's why all their wives are cheating on them. But <laughs> uh, just had to say it. Um, hey, one quick thing. I did want to just say this because it's not a super chat, but it came from Thomas St. Thomas. And I thought it was a good, uh, when we were we were talking about having to speak lies, Thomas mm -hmm. said, we should start calling liars and perpetrators of this falsehood Winston, like Winston Smith from 1984. I think that's a good. We got Karens, now we've got Winstons. Anyway. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. love that. But yeah, so broken, yeah. broken men. I mean, I don't know. What do you think about that, Mikey? Oh, it's 
totally true. God, I, it makes me think of um, this good friend of mine who no, doesn't speak to me anymore, of course, stopped speaking to me the moment. What's funny about people like that, too, by the way, is like I lost a bunch of friends when my views started changing, which is one thing. But the ones that really tick me off are the ones who had no problem with it, with disagreeing or whatever, until other people knew who I was and there was no hiding it. Ooh, what will people say? Um, but this one friend of mine was in like a serious relationship with this girl. They were living together and stuff. And a few different times I'd have like a dinner party or something at my house and they would come over and she would bring this frigging guy with her. And they would be like whispering in each other's ears and out in the open, right in front of him, flirting. And he would just stay across the room, looking down, liberal, of course, who probably didn't believe most of this, but felt he had to go along with all the feminist bullshit. And everyone else who was there was asking me, like, are they in a polyamorous relationship? Are they? I was like, no, he just wouldn't do anything. So finally, I was like, um, why are you allowing this to happen? She clearly wants you to go over there, grab him by the throat and say, get the hell off my woman. Um, and he was, he just gave like the feminist talking points of like, oh, I can't tell her what to do. I can't. I'm like, God, if a guy was that weak that I was dating, goodbye. And of course <laughs> he ended up cheating on him with 10 different people and left him yeah. for some rich guy. <laughs> you know, you can yeah, in fact tell really people common. what to do. They just don't have to listen. That's how the yeah. world works. Yeah. Like you can absolutely tell people what to do and they can say no. Well, it would, that's how adults interact. About, again, as somebody who has the unfortunate pleasure of dating the male species, when people talk about toxic masculinity, I'm like, what masculinity? It's an endangered species today. <laughs> well, I and think we do. No, I think we do have. Me is like it really speaks to that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think we do have a. Uh, it's like squeezing a balloon. Like we've squeezed out the healthy masculinity in one area of society. And I think it has actually blown up and become toxic in many other ways, right? Um, I'm going to – maybe this is – I'm not allowed to say this either. But, I mean, rap culture is a cesspool. I mean, listen – most of it. L look at the lyrics. It's misogynistic. It's hateful. It's, it's like it is toxic masculinity. That's not what they mean. When they say toxic masculinity, what they mean is 2.5 kids in a white picket fence. That's toxic masculinity. But what yeah. actual toxic masculinity is, is, you know, thug culture being yeah. being uh, put up on this pedestal like it's something to worship. That's Which toxic masculinity. It's really just insecurity. Yeah. I always go back to what my friend Shamika says, that she was like, uh, if masculinity is toxic, I want to be poisoned. <laughs> <laughs> I put that in my Tinder bio. Uh, that's actually, I mean, that goes to the heart of what I was trying to say about the, the woke women I know and the, uh, the woke subservient uh, kind of husbands that they, that they go for, but then they, they secretly talk about, you know, wh who they're really attracted to and it being different. It's, it's that you can't, it, it, it's like they're trying to, to change who they're naturally attracted to. And, and I, and I think, I mean, just anecdotally, these are conversations I've had with woke women, but I think there's, I think it holds true for a lot of woke women is they, they want to have their subservient um, servant husband, and then they want to have their cake and eat it too, and have these extramarital affairs or maybe a polyamorous relationship or whatever 
where they're getting these other needs of theirs met. But well, I mean, it's fun to have a slave. So if you can convince someone to like, you know, harder. be your little slave, and then you can go get yourself, uh, you know, romantically involved with someone you're actually attracted to. Why wouldn't you? Working in uh, one of the jobs I did for a while out here in Austin was a customer service related job. And um, like the, like this uh, high end uh, boutique kind of place. And I would see a lot of these couples come in like this and not all, but a lot of these couples where it was like the husband was sort of the treated like a child of the wife. <laughs> it was really yeah. messed up. And it, and it is, it's uncomfortable for everyone to witness that too. Cause you're kind of like cringe embarrassed for the guy, but it's also, well, why don't you do something about it? You know, stand up for yourself, be a full fledged human being. Well, there's a there's a psychology there's a psychological reason to not stand up for yourself, which is, and and I think this is true for a lot of people who who are submissive to authority, men and women. Uh, standing up for yourself requires accepting personal responsibility and having to be the one to make decisions. And like, people are so a lot of people are so broken and so unsure of themselves that they don't want that responsibility. They don't want to be the one to decide. They, they want the state to decide or their spouse to decide or they they don't want personal responsibility. So when we talk about, hey, you want some liberty? It comes with personal responsibility. They're like, I, I, not if it comes with that. I like yeah. the idea of liberty, but if I have to take this helping of personal responsibility on the side, you could forget it. I'll take my communism. And I, and I think it can't be understated too the impact of getting kids and especially young boys early with all of, not just all of the yeah. things that's happening in terms of gender. And if you look at how many um, young boys have no male role models, either at home or at school, because uh, single parenthood and most uh, young school teachers are women. Um, and then also, like I was saying before, pharmaceuticals. I mean, young boys get drugged up at a very early ages now. On all, I mean, even I, when I was a kid, you know, I was like, I was a little shit, you know, I was very headstrong and outspoken and stuff. And when I was about like five years old, I, they wanted to put me on all these pharmaceuticals just for acting like a five-year-old boy. And that's really common, I think, especially now. I mean, I'm really yeah. lucky that my dad was like, over my dead body is that happening? But they're, they immediately try to come up with all these conditions for you, your hyper you'd be on Ritalin and Adderall and antidepressants and all this shit. And so yeah. when you have five-year-old boys being drugged up on pharmaceuticals for the crime of acting like five-year-old boys, what do you think right. is going to happen? Yeah. We tried to stick your son in a chair in a classroom for eight hours and tell him to sit still and he didn't. So there must be something wrong with him. Yep. Yeah. It's like, all right. Hey, well. I just wanted to read this. This is a super chat from Frank Rizzo who mm -hmm. says, Tuesday, I gave testimony at a school board meeting against their anti-racism and equity policies. White fragility and how to be an anti-racist are on the reading list. A woman right after me did too. That is awesome. That's that amazing. Is, Good job, Frank. This is this is what we need. We need more people like you, Frank, who are willing to speak the truth and 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 stand up and even and and not be afraid. Or or even if you are afraid, despite the fear, do it anyway. Be courageous. And, and take a stand. And I think it's, the, we've talked about before, it's the school board meetings, it's the city council, it's these places where it's going to have an impact. It's in the schools. Yeah. I'm so yeah. glad to hear that you weren't the only one too. That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah.
And and this yeah. is why I was going to say this before, but this is why it's so crucial to have these conversations with people and to speak up because um, there was a study done recently that showed uh, Americans have no concept of the reality around them. If you ask them, for example, uh, how many black people were killed by how many unarmed black people were killed by police in a year, they think the number is in the th- five, six, seven thousand. Yeah, right. People just uh, have it, no what is concept it, of six or something. What's the number? Yeah, I don't remember. Some, I think it might be less than that, actually, 19. I think it's l- less than 26, yeah. Um, I don't know why that number is in my head. I'll Fight You Naked says, I dated a feminist once. As soon as the bedroom door shut, it was spank me, call me names, tie me up and choke me. It was weird. Uh, you will find <laughs> that... Uh, <laughs> you will find Be careful, that, Carrie. <laughs> uh, well, here's something interesting. I've mentioned this before. It... Back when I was a comedy manager, we were putting together a series pitch with one of the comedians I managed. And part of uh, one of the episodes, I think it wasn't the whole show. It was one of the episodes was about the porn industry. And we were doing a lot of research on porn statistics. And one of the stats I found was that um, the terms are different in terms of you look at like what on average, what search terms are women using to find porn and what search terms are men using to find porn. Women, uh, it's like bondage you know, uh, rape fantasies. It's all of this stuff that you would think is anti-feminist, right? Well, who's searching that out? Feminists. <laughs> who's watching porn? Feminists. <laughs> uh, looking for all the things that they you would think would be, you know, why was, uh, what was that book that was so popular? It was everywhere and they made a movie out of it. Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, why God. was that so popular? What's that tell you yeah. about what women are it's all it's almost like if you are trying to repress a, a healthy attraction to healthy normal masculinity and you're trying to repress that it's going to come out in these ways that are maybe not as healthy or somebody could say consider maybe are not as healthy i'm not passing a judgment on on what happens in your bedroom uh just kind of <laughs> no but often i'm not i don't pass judgment on bedroom stuff either but often what happens in a bedroom is it's an outlet for psychological issues that you're like, or it's an outlet for something that you can't have in real life psychologically. Like, I think because there's this dearth of healthy masculinity in real life for a lot of these women, uh, they have to compress all of that experience that they're looking for into the bedroom, into some kind of unhealthy over, I'm not going to call it unhealthy. It's, it's their choice or whatever, but like at least a representation of something unhealthy, right? Cause obviously it wouldn't be a real, I'll use the word grape. It wouldn't be a real grape, but it would be a fantasy grape, right? Mm-hmm. And like, that's, it's a, psychologically, they, they're kind of in need of something there and they're not getting it from the real world. So it gets, you know, pushed into into the bedroom. And I think that happens. Um, I think there's several fetishes that follow that rule where what happened, what, what the person is into is something that is kind of the, uh, would be obvious if you looked at their life about what's what's missing psychologically in their life. Um, if that's without being, I'm trying to be vague, but still clear enough. <laughs> I, th- I think it's a, I think it's like a similar thing with liberal gays too. Cause like, okay, this might be an overshare, but like <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've had it happen like three or four times now with different guys I've met that like, they're very leftist and they argue with me and they hate me for my politics. And then, give it a couple hours like two in the morning i'll get a text from them and it's like 
I want you to do me with a MAGA hat on and call me a stupid liberal snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> that reminds me of uh, there's an intro to a PGR workbook, and I don't remember what book it is, but he talks about uh, um, oh, crap. He talks about some. He's talking about liberals and and Nazis or whatever. But he makes this he makes this point that like. He actually had noticed, this is like in the 90s or whenever when he was writing this, it might have been the late 80s, but he was noting that like <laughs> all the liberals want to be tied up and like by someone dressed as a Nazi screaming at him. <laughs> it's just like weird, like what's going on? Why is this? So, you know. uh, Columbus, thank you for the very large super chat says, hint taken, kidding. I don't know what that's about, but. Okay, keep it up. Keep at it. There are some who are making efforts on other avenues of approach. Thank you. I think and Columbus yeah. is Columbus Cynic. I think Columbus Cynic is uh, referring to when we said uh, like quietly supporting isn't supportive. You got to be doing something. Oh, um, well, and so I thank you. It doesn't mean that you have to be doing a podcast or anything. And like no, you have to don't. check your own conscience. Are you doing something to fight it? Like, are you standing up somewhere? Are you courageous enough? To, are you doing something to fight this thing? And that, and then that's being supportive. If you're not, if you're doing absolutely nothing, uh, I would question how supportive you actually are. Um, although and, and yeah. fifty bucks is supportive, so thanks, Columbus Cynic. <laughs> well, and don't forget too. You know, I have a friend of mine who was like a diehard leftist, and I red pilled him, and he was getting into all these arguments with people uh, on Facebook and stuff. And he'd said to me, oh, I'm just going to like unfriend a bunch of people. And I told him, I was like, don't you dare, because don't forget for a lot of these people, not just him, but that somebody like you encounters, it is very likely that you are the only, only. different opinion that they will ever hear. Yeah. Mm. It's just basically when you have the opportunity to speak truth, do it and, and stand up for the other people who are doing it in different ways. Um, I did want to read this one super chat that we missed. It was on the screen, but Cheeky Mare, she's in our book club quite often. Cheeky Mare says, I want to be poisoned too by the toxic. That's for you, Mikey. Uh, the last two dates I have had wanted me to make all the decisions and take charge. No. Uh, I can I let me just say as a woman that resonates with me and uh, I'm no longer in the dating world, but the brief time I was, it's like, uh, yeah, I just, I, I don't want to be the person who makes all decisions all the time. And uh, surprisingly, some men seem incapable of doing that. It's, 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 it's weird. I don't know if it's part of this demasculization thing or what, but. I think it is a little bit. And I think they've been trained to do that. And the, the, I, I learned this from, I, I learned it from Tony Robbins, which is going to sound lame, but I, I did go to a Tony <laughs> Robbins thing. Like years what? ago, I went to one of these Tony Robbins events and, um, but he said something that was really uh, accurate. Uh, and once he explained it this way, I realized, oh, you're totally right. Um, he used the example of like when you're trying to decide what, like let's say you want to order takeout with your partner. And you're trying to decide what to have. And you think you're being nice by saying, I don't mind, whatever you want, right? I don't, I don't have a prep, whatever you want. And the partner's like, well, whatever you want. And he's like, have you ever been in the situation where you're both kind of saying to each other, like, I don't know. And then it like leads to this kind of stagnation of like, I don't really know what we're, I don't know what to order. Um, <laughs> he was like, look, decisions are sometimes it's a burden. Like it's, you're not being nice by saying you don't know what you want. It's better to be like, I want sushi. 
is that okay with you? Do you want that? Like then if they say no, then you can have a conversation, but be the person to make the decision and be like, this is what I want. Be assertive, say something. And often that's appreciated. Often the other person doesn't feel like making a decision. And he wasn't even, I don't think he was even talking about gender here, but often the other person doesn't feel like making a decision. And so like, if you just come at them with sushi, unless they're opposed to it, they'll be like, oh yeah, that sounds great. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for yeah, making the decision. Think, Done. I don't think gender matters here. This is a, you, we should just all, no. be, we should feel comfortable saying what we actually think. You're making me think of, I told you I rewatched Coming to America because I wanted to get ready to watch the second one, which by the way, you guys were right. The people in the chat told me the second one sucks. But no. the first coming to America is all as just as funny now as it was, you know, when you first watched it. And there's that scene, remember, when Eddie Murphy gets introduced to his uh, his his bride to be at the beginning, the person they've selected for him, who's been raised her whole life to be his bride, to be his his queen, his princess, and he's like, "What kind of music do you like?" She's like, "Whatever kind of music you like." <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> what do you like to eat? Whatever you like to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Yeah. yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> uh, that's like that's like a plague with gay guys too. I think it's a different sort of issue in that for decades, gay men gay men have sort of been trained how to be eunuchs. But God, just so many guys I encounter just radiate weakness. It's horrible. Yeah. Whatever yeah. you want me to be. Uh, <laughs> so. There's this, uh, yeah. There was because this we because that, like, we have a society that has we worship kindness and niceness and like like being not niceness like, not eradicating niceness. yourself. We like self censorship is viewed as some kind of or not self self eradication is viewed as a good thing. Look how I'm erasing myself for you. No one wants to be with a nothing. No one want no one. It, you don't fall in love with a nothing. You fall in love with a person who is something. No one wants a nothing. That scene is awesome for that, right? Yeah. She's a nothing. <laughs> Whatever you yeah, want. Yeah, I think. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think we confuse niceness for kindness. Nice. We're people are so concerned about being nice, not kind. Yes. You know. Yes. There's this line. Yes. There's this one of my favorite lines in uh, Into the Woods. That's like, you're not good. You're not bad. You're just nice. Ew. I love that, Mikey. Yeah. I've heard Jordan yeah. Peterson talk about that, about we, you don't need to be nice. And after after hearing that, I thought about it for a long time. And and, and I started using kind more often because that's more accurately describing what mm -hmm. I mean when somebody does something kind. Nice? Mm. Nice? What does that mean? You're just trying to get along with people? I, I, I don't know. Um, just be one, real. Like, I'm not be nice. Yourself. I on wheels, but I, but I own it. But you're also kind. Um, Sexy Beast said, this was up a second ago. Sexy Beast gave us a super chat and said, I have trouble speaking up because of cancel culture. I'm selling my condo to free myself to not be as tied to my job and free myself to speak more. That is awesome That's what you're doing. People are, I, I, I don't want to seem callous to people who have fears of losing their job or their um, livelihood or their sense of security. Yeah. I totally get it. And that's why I, I don't think there's any one shoe fits all. This is the way to push back. I mean, everybody's got to weigh their own life circumstances. Some people have kids that they have to consider. And, you know, I've tried to create a cancel proof life for myself. And, and because of my circumstances, it's easier for me than some others. Cause I don't have children. And, um, but Carter has kids he's created or tried to create a cancel proof life, you know, where my income is not. We'll see. On, Jury's out on that one. Yeah, <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but um, I think that's great what you're doing, Sexy Beast. Yeah, that's yeah. badass. Yeah. Well, I, I we've been going for over two hours. This has yeah. been fun, but I think we could probably wind it down. What do you guys think? Yeah, I missed you guys. I missed you too. I missed you too, Mikey. It's nice to have you back on a show. I guess you were back. I just missed it. So uh, I know. <laughs> it's nice to have you back, and I get to be involved. So um, can you, you remind people to... how they can pay attention to what you're doing before we end the show? Pay attention to me. Um, I'm on Twitter again. <laughs> Uh, it's at not Mike Harlow. That'll get him. my name. Who is not me is on Twitter, I should say. So follow that guy. Um, I'm on Instagram at Sleepy Harlow. I have a YouTube channel that I've just been, you know, I spent a good like five, six months touring, giving speeches and stuff. And I'm so burnt out that I haven't really been doing it, but I'm relaunching my channel probably at the end of the month. So follow my YouTube channel. It's a little bit barren right now, but it won't be soon. Cool. And you guys got to come on. Of course. I love that you're Obviously. doing a mix of fun stuff, too, because you're going to do uh, yeah. stuff with your mom. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do mom science theater where I, I make it. her watch like horrible movies or whatever. Because, God, if you think I have no filter, <laughs> beyond. <laughs> I love I love old ladies with no filter for some reason. Oh, yeah. They're, they're very fun to watch. Have so, watched Coming to America 1 and 2. <laughs> Two socks. I think. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I heard it's super woke. I think what we're gonna do for the first one is uh react to or watch like a bunch of messed up kids shows from the eighties and nineties. Like the awesome. Win did you guys ever see the Winnie the Pooh musical about not okay touching? No. <laughs> or there was this um Jesus y puppet show that my grandmother used to make me watch as a kid with this church lady. And I was like, Hmm, I wonder what happened to her. My mom and I would like be hysterically laughing, watching it when I was a kid. Was and it I was the like, Southern hmm. Baptist puppets with their whole mouth, their whole head. Yes, opens? But it was called sunshiny day. S O N. <laughs> um, so I was like, I wonder what happened to her. So I looked her up. She like cheated on her husband. It was banging. and had some, it was banging everyone else and got knocked up with a black child. <laughs> Wow. The puppet lady. We're going to be covering all of that. <laughs> Subscribe wow. to my channel. Subscribe. <laughs> Some wholesome content over there. <laughs> you guys, uh, thanks for a lovely Friday. And thanks for those of you I tuned you guys. in. I love yeah. you. And I um, just to remind you guys again, we've got Sunday, the 28th book club. So you've got about a week. Is it next week? Uh, next week, not not this coming Sunday, but the next Sunday. Okay. And you can find out more start. information at unsafespace.com uh, and look for the book club page. It's free to join and be a part of it. We also have announced the dates for, we had to push it. It was going to be June. We had to push it to August. Our unsafe space retreat is going to be in August in Texas. We have two price points. One is all inclusive. If you want to stay at the, the fancy resort with us, the other is if you want to just come for a day's worth of activities, um, check that out. We hope that we're able go. to, yes. We hope that we're able, yeah. it's kind of a, an expensive uh, place. We hope we're able to get enough people signed up and keep the reservation. I think we will. Yeah. I think we cool. will. Um, oh, but yeah, you can go to unsafespace.com and all the details are there. You can do what you want with it there. So, all right. I can't wait. Thanks everyone. Bye guys. Bye. Have a good weekend. Friday. Thanks for watching. 
If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. The following co-conspirators have confessed to crimes against the sacred oligarchy. To protect your freedom, any association with these individuals will result in criminal prosecution and social credit penalties. You are welcome. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Did you know that once a species has been sufficiently domesticated, it will become unable to survive on its own? I really don't know what made me think of that just now. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.